Hello there. Happy New Year to you. Happy 2018. I hope you had a very enjoyable 2017. It's your old pal Kevin here with a little bit of a New Year's treat for you. Please enjoy this. This was released last year on our Patreon page. It was a two-parter, two installments merged into one super episode here for you guys to enjoy. It is the review of Kane's fictional book that was released. One of only two novels WWE tried their hand at back in the day. This is Journey into darkness the book is split into two parts and we recovered it over two episodes this is the kind of thing that we're releasing regularly for our backers over on patreon there are currently 24 episodes of the smackdown crawl available exclusively for backers over on patreon there is two new episodes every month and along the way you get goodies like this book report and we have a new one up now for backers it's the rock says part one and there's going to be some exclusive videos going up later this week as well guys i hope you're enjoying season three the episode on tough enough will be out very soon but for now enjoy this taste of patreon content let us know what you think and if you want to support the podcast head over to patreon.com forward slash ae podcast and thanks very much for checking us out and thanks very much for your support hello there it's uh kevin and adam here how's it going hey there this is very unique very interesting disgusting despicable lack of respect sorry we're talking about a really weird book today yes <laughs> this is a, a as far as bonus episodes go this one stands alone this is the first time we've looked at a book on the podcast before so much like batista this book walks alone <laughs> they walk for miles inside this pit of danger you know i will say right this book is one which i bought you for your birthday mm-hmm. i didn't think when i was buying it we'd end up here with a microphone between Tell tell the people what book this is, Adam. This is Journey into Darkness, a novel by Michael Chiapetta. Chiapetta? And this is, let me find the official wording of it. It's the unauthorised history of Kane. The unauthorised? Unauthorised. Mr. Kane, will you authorise it? No, I will not. Like. Now, now, normally what that means is that they end up in the works for one ninety nine, like the, <laughs> the unauthorised story of Ricky Gervais or something like that. Why did I unauthorise my novel? <laughs> I am a private individual! <laughs> So this was published in 2005. It was the first of two attempts that WWE made to get into the fiction market. Oh, actually, hang on. I just want to see if I have... You have. I know you have. I know for a fact you have. I was going to say, just go over here and bring the uh, the podcast HQ here. I've got... uh... Big Apple Takedown. That's right, that which, was the second novel that they tried writing. The second novel they tried writing, this one was by the more capable hands of uh, Rudy Josephs. Oh, uh, of course. And it's got a sexy picture on the front as well. Don't like that. It's great, because I was a teacher when I was reviewing this book for... Uh, for, uh, for I don't even own a TV. So it's like, oh Jesus, it's like I, have to, I have to bend over the cover. Special that's bend. smart. To desexify it, but it's not as if they saw what the, any of the words on the page, they'd also think I was an absolute idiot. For instance, sure thing Triple H said as he led Chavo Guerrero and Batista off. It was impressive the way that Fisher kept coming with the euphemisms for toxic waste. Wow, okay. That's literature, is it? Good read. Good read, that <laughs> one is. Well, this one is the first attempt they made, and it is literally... Essentially, the point of this is to try and tie up all of Kane's backstory, everything we've come up with, tie it up in a nice, neat little package so that it makes sense canonically in the form of a great book. Because I think we did How To Kane for How To Wrestling. We had you on as a special guest due to your love of Kane. And I think it was 
very, very apparent when talking with uh, new fan Joe that Kane's backstory, as amazing and entertaining as it is, makes very little sense. Yeah. It makes about as much sense as watching, like, you know, a David Lynch movie backwards, you know, so very little sense <laughs> and not intended to make much sense either. This is, they only did like two of these novels. This is the first time yes. they've ever decided to go into fiction. Yeah. And you can see why they only got two into it. Like, I imagine they probably already had Big Apple Takedown being written at the same time as this, so they couldn't even pull the plug, like, quick enough. The guy was already on Sparknotes. He'd already signed up for his free trial. He was <laughs> downloading the paragraphs to fill it out. I would just... I would kill for them to have done more, though. Like, if this was a proper series of, like, many, many fictional books starring your favourite wrestlers, I'd be all over that. I have so many questions about this fucking book. Well, actually, yeah. Before we get into it, I've got a question for you, because you... I'm assuming know very little about this. I looked into it online, did a little bit of research. You can't even find a synopsis of this on Wikipedia or anything. So even if you were curious, you couldn't check to see what the quick story is on this. <laughs> it's not out there, okay? You've got to read the book. Yeah, well, if the, when the book is as short and the text is as large as it is... <laughs> well, we'll get straight to that first of all then. The, the sort of the printing, like, it isn't quite formatted correctly. Like, the margins are a bit off. It looks a bit like Business Secrets of the Pharaohs. <laughs> no, it's show. not proper. Like... Yeah, it's been printed on a Xerox <laughs> machine or something. But, but I wanted to ask you, what do you think, like, just roughly speaking, just like a concise... What do you think the story of Cain is going to be as told by this book? Okay, I, I will tell you, one of the reasons why I got this for you is because I did know one little snippet about it because I remember way back when I think I read the press release or whatever it was that came out that said, hey, we do books now. Mm -hmm. And one was like, and the other one will be uh, Journey into Darkness, which explores the twisted backstory of the demon Cain. And will also include like writing in people like Lita and Gene Snitsky mm -hmm. into his backstory. Mm -hmm. So all I know is that this is like mid-2000s, let's write in the current storyline. So maybe Heel Edge is going to show up as well. <laughs> or like Eric Bischoff. Or, you know, all the great stuff. Billy would fucking love this basic Yes, baby. this is Billy's best of books right here. Does Kane go to Punjabi prison? <laughs> what, but okay, but you know... You know your story of what Kane's origins are in your head. Yeah, I mean, like, we'll talk the broad strokes. Yeah. So we're all on the same footing here, because I'm pretty sure, Adam, you're the only one, including me and all of our patrons and all our backers, who's even come close to reading this thing. <laughs> so we're all in the same boat except you, which is Kane was the younger brother of The Undertaker. Mm -hmm. Undertaker was a demon child who set fire to his parents' funeral home, mm -hmm. the very funeral home where Paul Bear interned and also had sex with The Undertaker's mother, which gave birth to Kane, meaning that Kane's only a half-brother. Place burned down, Kane got burnt in the fire, but he didn't actually get burnt in the fire. You're just like those doctors who I had to hurt, JR. Uh, Kane gets locked, sequestered away in either a nunnery or a, or a nut house, you know, a real insensitive 1990s nut house. Mm -hmm. And he's kept there all the while Paul Bear is managing Undertaker, WWF, and he's kind of gone over and gone, oh, your Undertaker brother, he's wrestling King Mabel this week. I bet you want to fucking kill him, don't you? So he's you? still in touch with Kane, Paul Bear. Is. Yeah, we're assuming that he is because he alluded to as much when Kane debuted. It's like this whole time I've been keeping Kane. Yeah secret and safe away and he's just been training and focusing on I killing I want to be like brother. him like, yeah, yeah. He, he loves him but he also wants to kill him uh -huh. so and he wants to be him and that's pretty much it Snitsky 
as far as I figured, <laughs> getting into this, and it wasn't his fault though, was it? So how he retrospectively fits back in here mm. is beyond me. I don't know if like Kane, like as a child, has a wank and then like Gene Sinsky starts putting elbows on the jizz or mm. like puts the boots to it, like you know. Oh, he won't even have a god. The sperm haven't even got a chance. No, no good, lousy son of a bitch. So that's the story of Kane as I know it. Right, and then there's just a big gap in time, surely, until World Wrestling Federation. So yeah, I've got to somehow turn that into a novel. I'm expecting one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Mm-hmm. With lots of old tapes. <laughs> <laughs> also, if they manage to write in Christmas Creature and Dr. Isaac Yankum into this, I'll be very, very happy indeed. Okay, that doesn't happen as far Fuck's as I can tell. Sake. Parts of it you are right about. A lot of it you're wrong about as well. It's not what I expected it to be. Let's just get straight into it then. It's separated into two books. We've two got a, books? Yep. It's, it is one book, physically. <laughs> and barely that. <laughs> bare, it's, it's like, this is, I'd say, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets size. I'll maybe. tell you, this is Game Boy Advance secrets and codes revealed. That's, <laughs> that's the thickness we're dealing with here, folks. So we're going to look at today, uh, book one, Cursed. What's book two called? Avenged. <laughs> is that when he gets his avengeance on The Undertaker, is it? We'll have to find out, Kevin. <laughs> But before we even get to anything else, the first thing, we open the cover of the book, before the copyrights, before the title, we've got like a little extract here in the, the very, very, very first page. It's like a demo of the book, basically. Kind of, like, yeah, yeah. A little, little sample for you. It <laughs> comes free with PlayStation Magazine, like. He grabbed hold and stopped the Datsun from toppling off the road. Glenn, Katie screamed. Glenn! He could barely see her face over the hood. Get out the car, he managed. I'm trying, she sobbed. I can't get the goddamn seatbelt, Glenn. He looked up and saw her eyes wide with terror. The car began to fall back again, dragging him with it. He wasn't strong enough. When it counted the most, he just wasn't strong enough. (laughs) Glenn, Katie screamed. He looked up and met her gaze as the bumper slipped out of first his right hand and then his left. For a second, the car and Katie hung there in space, and then they fell. A split second later, the car hit and exploded in flames, and with a roar of primal fury and sorrow, Glenn Kane launched himself off the side of the mountain Sorry. and into the heart of the fire. Glenn Kane? Yeah. His second name is Kane. Glenn Kane. So I thought they were going, oh, shoot name, Glenn Jacobs. Yeah. Glenn Kane. Glenn Kane. Glenn Kane. But that's not actually his name. No. Like, that's just what the first page of the book tells you. This is like a really weird, like, tech demo, like you say. This is um, like someone's had a go at writing the book and they're not good enough. But straight away, <laughs> that should give you the biggest clue as to what this book's really going to be about. It's it's basically the story of Kane and Katie Vick. I was going to say, yeah, Katie Vick was obviously a part of this as well, I'm guessing, because somewhere in between the doctors being hurt and Kane debuting and fighting his brother... He did kill a lady in a car. Yes. Katie had a little too much to drink. And so that happened as well, I guess. That sick freak. (laughs) (laughs) I bet Triple H loves this book. At the end of every page. (laughs) 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 Okay, so his name is actually Glenn Calloway. Brother of Mark Calloway. Oh man, this is so... Fucking deep into the mind of kayfabe here. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Callaway spelt slightly differently, just to sort of try and keep a bit of a line between reality and fiction. It's Callaway with two L's instead of one. Glenn and Mark are the sons of Randall and Susanna Callaway. Whoa, That's, we've given them names. We have, pa- we have parents' names now for the first time. And the book immediately opens up. Kane is at school. Little Glenn is at school getting picked on by bullies, like usual. Oh, fucking bullies, man. I hate them. But he finally plucks up the courage to stand up for himself and fight back. And with a choke slam? With just, no, just fighting back as best he can, because he's not used to fighting. He's a little wimp. 
but his big brother Mark is there watching on and he's proud of Kane that he's finally started to fight. <laughs> we learn in this opening sequence that Kane has a freaky disease, but that's all it's referred to as at the, for the minute. A freaky disease? Freaky disease, yeah. Now, that's strange because like a f- disease is obviously something that no one wants. No, no, but a freaky disease. Freaky disease, that sounds like something from Scooby-Doo. That sounds, <laughs> like, that sounds kind of fun, you know? A uh, lot of swearing as well, straight away. We find out there's going to be a lot of adult language in this book. Not really adult content, though. If you want to talk about the actual nature of the content of the book, this is probably more PG than The Rock says. So. Really? Yeah, there's not really a lot of sex. There's a little bit of violence, but not what you'd hope. A couple of people die, at least? Well, we'll get into it. So, <laughs> we find out that this whole bullying sequence is actually just a dream, and he can he's woken up by the smell of his dad smoking a cigarette outside his bedroom window. Sorry, what a and, shit dream to have as a yeah, kid. I, know, like, like, I stood a up to a bully. Boring ass dream, like, you know. I mean, as a kid, I used to have cracking dreams. Like I'd catch Mew even though he's not available <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the original 150. Fucking up your dream game clan, Jesus. But he wakes up smelling his dad smoking outside his window. Randall himself. Is there lots of allusions to like smoke and brimstone and fire and Well, it depends what you think of an illusion because Kane wakes up to that and he's like, Dad, he's just thinking, I better go and tell him to stop smoking. So he realises the smoke isn't coming from out of the bedroom window. It's coming from under the door. Oh my God, Mark Calloway's underneath there smoking cigarettes like a total (laughs) badass. So we immediately start off straight away in the fire. The funeral parlour is being burnt down. We know how old is, is Kane meant to be? He is seven or eight. He's like a very young child at this point in time. Uh, we know that his parents own a funeral parlour and that he lives there with his brother, the Undertaker, in, well, Mark, in Marfa, Texas. That's where they grew up. Not Death Valley. Not Parts Unknown. Marfa. Oh. It's not even like a really badass sounding town. Like, it's just no. Marfa. Very boring. Yeah, a bit of a whimper. <laughs> but we wake up in the fire and the house is burning down. Uh, Kane, you know, initially he thinks he's going to escape, but then he decides, no, I've got to be brave. I've got to save my family. So he goes back into the burning house to try and find his family. Eight years old! We got tiny parents or something. Well, he immediately catches fire straight away. And that's when we learn more about Kane's freaky disease, because he says that he has a, some sort of disease, the doctors have a fancy name for it, that means that I can't feel any pain. So he doesn't realise that he's on fire until he can smell the burning flesh coming from his body. Okay. Now, I will say straight away, I thought that's the lamest, like, weakest attempt at anything ever. But we do find out the disease has a name. It's Hassan. Not Muhammad Hassan, but H-S-A-N. Hereditary Sensory and Autonomic Neuropathy. So is that a real thing? I looked it up. It is a real thing. And apparently the symptoms are it affects the ability to sense pain and to feel pain throughout the body. So... Fair play. Okay, someone's on their research. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. You get that one, okay? Yeah, so Kane has caught fire on the arm, and it's like spreading up his face and down his torso, and he hasn't noticed it yet until he smells it. We get an incredible sentence at this point where he realises that he's actually going to die now, and that he's a little boy. This is one sentence. He was just a kid. Kids weren't supposed to die like this. (laughs) Kids aren't supposed to burn, they're meant to learn! I want you to hear where the commas are here, so I'm going to try and make it sound clear where there's a comma and where there's not a comma. (laughs) He was just a kid. Kids weren't supposed to die like this, except they did all the time. He'd seen it on the news more than one time. The last a couple weeks ago, a girl up in Alpine had been in the bath by herself, hit her head on the faucet, and drowned while her mum was in the kitchen, making cookies. That's a sentence. That's one long sentence. You know what's funny? I think when you first started reading this, you sent me a, you sent me a picture, and it's like, look at these sentences, and it's like, 
a very obvious lack of basic punctuation. Yeah. As in, I'm a writer, mom, even though I flunked English class yeah. and I refuse to listen to any sort of, you know, squiggly red lines or helpful paper <laughs> clips. I've shut them all out of my life. So that's a work that must be infuriating to read because I know like books, I mean I'm not necessarily the most well read person in the world, but if a book is like written like really badly like that yeah because you think I, i'll just stop reading it but then when you've already agreed to review it for a podcast it's like well i better, I better keep reading it i guess <laughs> let's keep going so i can read sentences like he slapped at his right arm with his left hand trying to put out the flames the burned skin slid off like crusted over cheese on pizza oh that is like there's two things there i don't first of all i don't like the idea of a child's skin coming off no nope. i also don't like the idea of of cheese coming off a pizza like that. No. That's just... When you've not sliced it, you've, your slice has gone blunt, so then when you go through it, the cheese just rips off of it and you just got a tomato we slice. Are you or... trying to put it through the letterbox and just remove the bristles, <laughs> remove the cheese, <laughs> like, and uh, lightly brush, brush them with piss? So he gets covered in burns, like, all over his head. So like... we're saying 100% now, we can set this to, to one side and put it to bed. Kane did get burnt. Yes, quite badly. We, he gets burnt all over the top of his scalp, uh, burns over his cheek on the right side of his face, his right arm, and the lower half of his body. Uh, he dies straight away. Um, <laughs> the end. Yeah, that's that then. Now, the EMTs finally arrive, and they drag Kane out. They try and give him CPR, but he's... he's... <laughs> they put him out. Giving CPR to a flaming <laughs> Uh But he won't respond, and the medic's like, God damn it, he's only like a fucking eight-year-old boy, and he says a prayer. Guess guess how, because obviously Kane's going to come back to life. Guess how he comes back to life. Does he sit up? He sits up. Amazing. He, he sits up and then he turns and looks at the, the medic like, and everyone's like, oh my God. Right. So are you telling me that every time Kane or The Undertaker sit up somewhere, someone's saying a prayer? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like their Irish mammies. I'll keep you in my prayers. <laughs> and we did two rosary for you at benediction this week. I thought, <laughs> I'll keep Kane in my prayers because he's got that match, hasn't he, on Sunday? <laughs> After that, we learn that he's unconscious for six weeks. They keep him heavily sedated while they give him shitloads of skin grafts. Um, the... <laughs> did it happen that like our skin grafting technology like took a dip? After the 70s, because Kane looks totally fine. Like, yeah, I know, right? Well, they say that apparently the burns on his face are quite minor and will heal with time, hopefully. As we all know, a burnt face will eventually get better. So <laughs> we learn a little bit more because Kane's obviously in some sort of weird dreamland while he's being kept unconscious. We learn about his mother's side of the family. Now, Susanna's maiden name was Kane. Susanna Kane. Oh, so Kane is kind of like in the same way that McGillicuddy was paying homage to his Exactly, uh, yeah. His exactly. <laughs> and we learn, this is one of the biggest plot points throughout this book now, that there is a Kane family curse that, oh. go, that goes years and years back, back to the time of witch hunts when the uh, you know the curse originated with Kane's great 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 grandmother who was a witch. Oh my God! So Kane's a witch boy. Kane is a, 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 the son of a witch, basically. <laughs> and we have a flashback of Kane one day in the funeral parlor, and he's like just hanging out in the kitchen, and he can hear laughing coming from the sort of reception area. And he goes through, and he sees his mum sat there laughing, having a great time. <laughs> With this fella who's been working at the funeral parlor for a little <gasps> while called Paul Grimm. Grimm spelt G R I double M. Are you fucking kidding me? Grimm? Paul Grimm is a short, fat, mustachioed man with black hair with a high pitched voice <laughs> who Kane's mother was seen giggling with and he had his hand on her lap 
And when they when Kane walked in the room, they were both like, "Oh, hey, hey, Kane, how are you?" Like, we're you know, totally just... not your parents. Yeah, no. Wait, so uh, grim. Did they explain where the name came from? Bear? Did he like take? Because like, hang on a minute, that would be a cracking play on words. Not yet. Ah. Not yet. This is still setting up the pieces for the rest of book one. Don't forget. I guess Kevin, so. Like, yeah. This is all still set up now. <laughs> we have at one point here because obviously there's going to be something slightly insidious about this Paul Grimm fella. And Kane has recurring nightmares about him chasing him down the street. And I will say, it is actually, when you have the vision of Paul Bearer in your head when you're reading it, it is actually kind of frightening. There's a bit where he's chased Kane and he's holding up a piece of paper to him. And it says, you're dreaming on it. And then when he looks up and he looks back down at the paper again, it says, she's dead regarding Kane's mother. He looks at it again and it says, dead, 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 (laughs) all dead. And Paul Bearer just starts laughing at him. Like, is he like mad happy that his mother's dead? I guess in this nightmare he is, yeah. So we find out that that's it. The family is dead. Mark, the parents, they all died. Glenn was the only survivor. Oh, so fire. Boy Taker is meant to be dead. Boy Taker is dead. And so are the parents. So we're assuming at this point now... Because I wonder, like, is this this is coming from like the 2006-2007 perspective of Kane, which... Seem to really you know, amp up, he's a psychopath, he's a scary, he's a monster. But very much play down that he has supernatural powers, mm-hmm. he is a demon. Because, you know, at the start it was like, he is a demon. Then the middle it's like, he's not really a demon. But now again, he is a demon. So yeah. I wonder, are we going to get like a lot of, yeah, Undertaker is just a cool guy who's got some rich symbolism. Or if they're going to be like, he's Actual full of powers. dark-sided yeah. Yeah, powers, That's lightning. Good question. We would find Kane wakes up in his hospital bed after having all of his surgeries. And he gets to meet his new social worker, Melissa Vick. Now, oh, no. What's going on here? She's just his social worker. She's Vick's just, a common name. Yeah, I don't know what you're on about. Could be anyone. The nurse later tells Vick that the police actually found a lot of bodies in the funeral parlor basement. And they're like, did they now? It's a fucking funeral parlor. I know. I know. That was my immediate reaction. But there's meant to be something suspicious about that. That there's loads of bodies in the actual... The, mor- the morgue area of the funeral parlor. I hope this fucking thing is alright now with making Undertaker. If they're going to like really push that he's like this monster here, like child who murdered loads of people and stashed the bodies. Well, it's not that. It's the nurse and Melissa Vick sort of theorise that the Calloways were involved in some suspicious activity over the border. Over the border? Yeah. As in Mexico? Yeah. There's allusions, not often, but there's like one or two times in book one where they make allusions to the fact that the Calloways had some sort of dodgy dealing with some bad, sort of cartel, maybe. Bad hombres. Yeah. <laughs> Did... What? What? I, they really should have brought that into Kane's character on wrestling. Seriously. Like, him and, like, Razor Ramon could be, like, you know, two different, like, you know, the, the drug ports, like, you know. The... And he's feuding with Shane McMahon. He just cuts Shane's head off and puts it on a tortoise, like, sends it out to the ring. <laughs> he's with Shane McMahon. He cuts a load of cocaine with some more... <laughs> <laughs> We also find out that Mark's body was never actually ID'd. Oh. They did find the body of a young boy about his age, but it was too badly burnt to ID it. And the town is too poor to pay for DNA testing. That's just the way it is. The town of Marfa, Texas can't spring for that kind of thing. When a family tragedy happens and a little boy dies, you know, you just got to get on with life. <laughs> just assume that he did die, maybe. Can't afford justice in that town. Uh, so, basically, Glenn won't open up to Melissa because, you know, he's just burnt down in a fire. And uh, how how died, old is he at this point? He, again, he's seven or eight. Like, this is just, this is still, like, the months after the fire. 
but he won't open up to Melissa and she just wants to get him to open up. She knows that if he can open up, she can help him. So she enlists the help of... Um, fucking say that. It's got to be her daughter. Her it? daughter, who is a similar age to Kane. Um, little Katie Vick, who is also a little seven-year-old girl, then comes to the hospital to visit Kane. Oh, wow, that's amazing. That's a big twist because I didn't know that the whole Katie Vick storyline, like Kane was drunk behind the wheel and was seven years old. <laughs> Katie had too many juice boxes and we had just had her nap. It's and... like the, uh, the kindergarten episode of South Park where they burn the teacher. <laughs> um, so he immediately gets on with Katie naturally. She just has some sort of angelic charm about her in wonderful innocence. And Glenn finally starts to open up. He actually, coincidentally, has a dream that night about going to a wrestling show with Katie and a couple of mates. Have they mentioned wrestling before this That's point? That's the first mention of wrestling so far. Oh, okay. I was wondering if it was like he was like a big, you know, big fan. You know, no, no. It's just it's just something that exists in Kane's world. You could write in like you know WCCW if they're in Southern Texas, like you know, <laughs> writes itself. Heal Michael Hayes, like you know, as a, as a child he had interactions with. It could work. Now. This is one of the books where I will say it's all written in the third person um, and we do switch perspectives quite a lot. So it doesn't always follow Glenn. It does switch to different characters a fair few times. Quite like uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, multiple books, multiple perspectives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the way it goes in this journey into darkness. You either play or you die. Like... I mean, say what you will about it. What's the name of the guy who wrote this? Michael Chiapata. No one's going after Michael Chiapata saying, here, where's the next journey into darkness? Because he, he got it out quick. He, yeah. he said everything needed to say he didn't doddle did he he didn't doddle <laughs> and that's why HBO won't have so many issues making this into a series <laughs> um, now we find out another again another great example of his writing here is because like I say it switches perspective and we switch to Melissa's perspective for a little while and in the space of about three pages we learned that she has a husband that he is a highway ranger and you know he's been working on the force for a few years and then he just he just dies um, in a, in a <laughs> And he dies? In a high-speed chase, like two pages after we're introduced to the idea of him, he dies tragically on duty. Um, Kane thinks it's the curse. He thinks it's the Kane family curse because he got close to the Vix. So... You, you mentioned the curse, but you didn't actually specify what the curse is. Like, what, all the Canes will all be, like, what, have you be killed? Or? Cursed. So just general bad luck. They're cursed. It's never made clear formally what it is, but the idea is, is that Cain is the last surviving Cain. Everyone else has died in his blood family now. Everyone's dead, and wherever he seems to go, misfortune follows him. Mm. It's a proper series of unfortunate events, this book. I see, yeah. In fact, it, it literally is. We're following an orphan going from home to home now, trying to find his way. It's Paul Bearer Count Olaf in this case. <laughs> is he going to try and marry Kane? Who's Paul Bearer? Surely you mean Paul Grimm, Kevin. That, that I still don't fucking understand. I hope they explain that. So, Kane thinks because of his curse, he got close to the Vix, and now the husband of Melissa has died, and it's all his fault. Obviously, she's not fit to be his social worker anymore, so he she gets replaced by Dick Beavis, who is... Dick Beavis. Dick Beavis. Sorry, did this suddenly become a DX parody video? Yeah, Dick Beavis. He <laughs> he is literally Lionel Hutz. He outright says in the first paragraph of Kane meeting him, oh yeah, I'm quite new to the social work business, but it's, it's surely just like the real estate game, right? I mean, similar skills. Mate. Yeah, so he's not a very good social worker and he's not very good for Glenn. Oh no. But it's fine because within two pages he's gone and he's replaced by Mrs. Rodriguez who is 
Kane has got indifferent feelings towards. She's <laughs> she's, she's kind of nice. She's not lovely. But then after that, he had to go to Mrs. Rodriguez, with whom he had no strong feelings well, one way or the other. Mrs. Rodriguez immediately gets to work finding him a new home. So we have our first section of the story here is Kane is going to live with a, a childless couple on a ranch called Red and Margaret Barrow. Okay. Now they're simple cowpoke folk. They have their ranch. They have their routines. <laughs> And Red, the man, the old guy, the old-timer, he's nice, he's very warm, wants to care for Glenn. Consuela, their uh, Hispanic maid, is also very nice as well. She's very lovely and not like the bloody Margaret, though. There's really heavy vibes that Margaret, oh, wow. the mother of the family, she hates Glenn. Like, it's, there's loads of things of like, and Glenn saw Margaret in the distance laughing and smiling, but then she looked at him and she scowled. Okay, got to call it right now. Childless couple, she resents Glenn because um, she couldn't have a baby and the man was like, we'll just get a burnt one from the hospital. Mm, no, you know, you know, you'd think it would be going that direction. It goes somewhere else altogether. But either way, it is entirely inconsequential. So Okay, so I was wondering now, at this point, if we're going through all these different people in his past, are we trying to establish that Kane pays tribute to the different people in his past for instance, red. red. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know? And the maid, Consuela. Yeah. So their, their next, uh, you know, person, which is Johnny Voicebox, who looks after <laughs> him. I'm sorry, I'm still pissed off Dick Beavis is gone. Cause... Yeah, he literally came and he went within two pages. Oh, man. Waste. It was honestly like the guy hasn't got a backspace key on his keyboard. And he was like, oh, no, I don't, I'm not committed to this character. Let's just change it to Mrs. Rodriguez now. The name's too silly, but it's too late now. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Glenn, bear in mind he is still only seven years old. This is all quite recently after the fire. He's had a busy year. He has had a very busy year, but eventually he starts to warm up to life here. He likes Red, and he likes some of the other ranch hands, and Consuela always makes a really nice breakfast. She's very kind to him. But he is a seven-year-old boy, and he does pick, on some, pick up on some very subtle cues that things aren't well in the Barrow household. Like, it's just little hints that Red and uh, Margaret's marriage isn't very good, and you've got this little seven-year-old boy here, like, oh, something's not right about this. It's a parent trap all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but he does live happily there for a few months. Like, life goes on and things get all right. There is a very short scene where Glenn has a friend come over, and they watch on TV Chief J Strongbow versus superstar Billy Graham. Oh, for, of course, Chief J Strongbow. Of course, Chief J Strongbow. The reason why Chief J Strombo always gets fucking mentioned is because he was one of Vince's, like, dad's inner circle and then one of his inner circle. Right. One of the all-time greats, Chief J fucking Strombo. Fuck off. Yeah, Honky Tonk Man didn't have very favourable things to say about him, if I remember. Yeah, no. A lot of people had very few favourable things to say about him, if I recall as well, actually. Again, now, this is probably about a quarter of the way through the book. We're hoping to get fleshed out details on Kane's backstory, but what we're learning more about now is the Barrow's backstory. Turns out Red did have a daughter in the past oh. from his first marriage. So he had an original marriage and he had a daughter. Wife died. You know, everything was fine. They loved each other, but she died and that's when he married Margaret. Now, when Red married Margaret, he didn't get his daughter didn't get on too well with Margaret at all. Now, there was a huge split in the family. And his daughter, when she was of age, she was like, fuck this, and she moved to Dallas. Oh! And because of that, they don't talk anymore. Because Seems Red's like still with Margaret. And the daughter hates Margaret. I was just saying, this Margaret character seems like a right stick in the mud, like. Yeah, she is, because immediately after we learn this, she turns into a proper bollocks. She's really drunk one evening. Jesus. And she mentally and physically abuses Kane. What? Uh, accusing him of being a spy working for Red's daughter that was sent here to spy on him and make sure everything is well in the household. 
I mean, as a kid, I would have relished the opportunity to be a spy being a fan of spy kids. Yeah. But that is a very weighty accusation to lay at the foot of a seven-year-old boy covered in burns. Yeah, so she hits him and she shouts at him. Oh my god! And we learn that she is a deeply troubled person from when she says, I used to be a good person, and then I moved to this shithole town and this shithole state. And look at me now. I'm old and I'm miserable and I'm a fucking drunk. <laughs> she actually says, yeah. I'm a fucking drunk. Yeah, she cuts a promo on him right there and then. <laughs> like, Guys, look what they said. Everything's terrible in Texas. Like, fucking hell. She's like in um, Raw Deal or on Schwarzenegger. She got like a keg and she wrote the word shit on it. Like, you know, <laughs> should I drink and bake, Margaret? So the next day, the police come to visit Glenn. You'd think maybe he'd mention this, but he doesn't, you know, obviously. Well, who's his current social worker? Has he still got a social Mrs. worker? Mrs. Rodriguez. But things are so well in the Barrow household that she only needs to visit once a month now, so they don't see her that often. But obviously there's Red. Red is lovely, and Glenn can talk to him. But before we can get to that, the police come and visit, and they want to talk to Kane because they've got an update regarding the actual case. <gasps> now, they do suspect it was arson. They've been on the trail of somebody they want Kane to identify. They've seen him checking into a motel room. Sort of a, a short, fat, mustachioed man. And he had with a high-pitched voice? And a young boy with him. And Glenn's obviously like, that's Paul Grimm. And they're like, okay, who's the boy? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know any boys. The only boy <laughs> I know is my brother, and he's fucking dead. Thanks for bringing it up. But they do find a couple of things in this motel room where they saw Paul Grimm. First, they find the Kane family scrapbook, which... <laughs> has all of the details of the Kane family curse in it. Like, his mother, Susanna, before she died, she was obsessed with the Kane family curse. And she filled this scrapbook with all the evidence she could find of the family being cursed. And the other item they found was apparently from Kane's dad's mask collection. Oh, for fuck's sake! Come on! His mask collection! It's sort of a red and black mask, like, with sort of scratched, like, stripes going down diagonally on it. Awful. And if you look on the inside of the mask, it says Mascara de la Muerta Negra, which means the ba- the mask of the Black Death. Are we going to Mexico, Adam? No. Oh. Again, that's where I was hoping this was leading, the cartel and the mask, but <laughs> doesn't look like we're heading that way. So we've got the mask and we've got the scrapbook now, and Glenn is going to tell Red that Margaret is abusive and explain everything that's happened, because they've got a good relationship and he knows yeah. Red will understand. Red falls off his horse and goes into a coma. Oh, damn, I hate when that happens. But do you know why? The bloody Kane family curse in it. I thought it was like Margaret like made the horse drunk or something like that. <laughs> like, you know, or she hit the horse or something, you know. So again, this is a big part of the book well a big favourite of this author is that he likes to have really long sections where not very much happens and then in the space of a couple of pages we'll span loads of time so in a couple of pages we have weeks of more abuse going on Red is still in a coma so Margaret is the one solely looking after Glenn now constantly like physically tormenting him and mentally tormenting him oh my god yeah it's it's really like horrible and then one day Red comes to and he's fine again, and he gets up and he's wandering around, and he <laughs> he can't find Glenn or Margaret anywhere, and goes outside on a stormy day. And he then can... he was in a coma. Then he was not in a coma. Then he was in a coma again. <laughs> and he goes outside to the barn, and he hears noises coming from within. And Margaret's in there, and she's whipping Kane with an electrical cable, and then she wraps it around his neck and tries to hang him from the ceiling of the barn. It turns what? out she found the Kane family scrapbook 
and she knows about the curse now. And so she's, she's going to torture this child. And she's like, this all makes sense. We need to kill him because he's brought a curse to our, our ranch and everything's going wrong now. We've got to kill the boy. We've got to kill this little boy. But Red- like, the way, like, if you are like, okay, like, no no fucking around. We seriously have to kill this child. Mm-hmm. What, why is he whipping him and fucking... Well, it's weird because she's hanging him with a cable, but she also has a gun pointed at him as well. Fucking hell, apples and oranges. And she's like, you're not going to be anyone's problem anymore. And she pulls the trigger and it jams. So Red dives to her, and then it does go off in Red's chest, and she kills Red by mistake. Kane family curse. Kane family curse. So uh, is the Kane family curse going to be all those close to him always die, but he himself will continue to survive and put on big show matches? And that's the real curse, that's isn't it? That's the real curse. The real curse is getting burned by Chris Jericho when he spills a coffee on your chest. And then she shoots herself in the head in front of Kane. So Kane's back out of the, the Barrow's ranch now. Yeah. Beavis is back as his caseworker again. Um, he's now, I don't know why Mrs. Rodriguez wasn't allowed anymore, I guess because she gave him to a murderous woman. But Beavis is back on the case. <laughs> he started rewriting the book, but only got a third of the way and stopped. <laughs> again, over the next few years, we pass, uh, sorry, the next few pages, we pass six years. The curse follows him around, of course. Misfortune, you know, manages to follow every single foster home that he lives in. And he gets rehomed and goes on and lives. Eventually, he's living with an old couple and he sort of tells them, oh, I'm being rehomed again, so you don't need to worry about me anymore. I'll just go back to the orphanage myself. See ya. Um, what he does is he actually goes and he finds an abandoned lot and he just lives there by himself for a year, Aww. looking after himself. It's fine because you'd think it would be sad, but it only lasts for about half a page. So it doesn't oh, that's really okay. You have to dwell on that. Like. Because soon enough, Beavis gets fired and the Vicks are back in town. They're all over the, 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 the dad dying. They've got over it and they're back to look after Glenn. They're here to save him. Mate, that was pages ago. Why would anyone be upset? I will say, genuinely, at this point, we're somewhere between a third and halfway through the book. Glacial the pace. Honestly. Like, all we've, and it's been loads of stuff going on, obviously. Twists and turns from all the foster homes and all the, the mischief, but who gives a shit about any of we're this? We're establishing the Kane curse. The, we, the well-established wrestling canon that is the Kane curse out of you. Give it time. So Glenn gets rehomed with Dominguez, who is uh, the cop that was originally investigating the family fire. Uh, he has since retired, but that's where Kane has been rehomed. Sorry, whoever wrote this literally just watched like all the Friday the 13th, all the episodes. <laughs> this is following such a pattern of those. Like Kane and Katie start hanging out again. They become mm. best friends. Oh. Like, it's proper friend zone territory. Like They're just, you know, nothing romantic yet, but they're is all she, just mates. Is she a cheerleader yet? No, 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 no. We, we'll learn more about Katie in a little bit. There is an interaction where Kane and Katie are walking down the street and one of the fucking jocks at the high school comes over I and hate jocks. starts throwing shade. He's all oh, like, a couple of jock asses. Katie, why don't you come and hang out with me tonight instead of hanging out with this guy? And they don't really say anything. Like You know, they're bullies, but they're not really saying anything specific like they're not targeting any of his disfigurements or anything is, because is Kane meant to be like disfigured well, he's mostly time. healed yeah he's mostly healed the only other injury that he sustained over the years was that his throat was fucked up from the from the smoke and right. the fire and then when he was strangled by Margaret that affected his voice for a while as well now before the Vicks came back to town Kane was such a recluse not talking to anyone in school that he basically lost his voice because he wasn't using it uh, and I was like so that's why he has to use the voice box, box. But when the Vicks come back, he starts talking to Katie and hanging around, and pretty soon he's not got any disfigurements, his voice is back to normal. He's just a kid, essentially. A big kid that can't feel pain, don't forget, because of his Hassan. 
but he's essentially just an awkward, really shy, loner teenager. I'm kind of disappointed here now because I feel like there's there's one of the, uh, an opportunity to be like, ah, that's why when he went to WWF he couldn't talk initially. But after a year or two, and you know Sean Waltman helping him talk and whatnot, yeah, he starts to gain his voice back. And yeah, that is what happens. Just age thirteen instead. Oh God! Unless he's, there's another fire going to happen at the end of this book, I wonder. Like. Well, we learn that Katie is a sort of a Laura Palmer type. Like she's really smart, really intelligent. She's kind. Does drugs. All the guys love her. All the teachers want to teach her. She's she, <laughs> she's she's a young Laura Palmer, so she's not on the drug scene. Yet, okay, like. right. Kane wants to try out for football. This is so boring. What's coming? So fucking boring. Who gives a fuck? We're nearly halfway through the book now. Kane Kane wants to go out for football. Adam, what position does he play, though? We need to know. We've not had any hellfire and brimstone yet, but we are going to have. Oh no, Kane is really good at football. Like, because he's so big and unnaturally strong, he just plows through all the boys and he gets really popular and everyone comes to the game just to see Glenn play. And then he realizes like, oh, it's not about the team. Everyone just wants to see me. They don't care about the team. It's not a team sport. Besides, I'm not even been trained. I'm just pushing people over. Maybe I'll try playing basketball instead. So then he plays basketball for like a couple of pages. But the same thing happens. He's not been trained properly. He's oh not really a star. Oh my god. Everyone just loves him because he's so big and he's strong, but no one cares about his ability or his so teamwork. So, are you basically saying that he has the curse of being a WWE superstar in that he has the X, Y, and Z factors and people just want to see the big man go? Pretty much. So, he realizes team sports are not for him. Maybe I'll give wrestling a go. Oh, man. And he goes to the wrestling class and he watches a couple of people do some wrestling. And someone turns around and he's like, oh, hey, Glenn, you interested in wrestling? And he's like, uh, no. And he walks off and he goes, maybe wrestling's not for me. <laughs> the end. <laughs> oh, I was really hoping to be like, how about one of these? And he's like a tombstone. <laughs> like, Whoa. Like, like all that wrestling you see, like where people just grappling and rolling around, it's because all of them are shit. They're, they're not good enough to do like an F5 or a tombstone. I always remember I, my PE class when I was in like fourth year, my, uh, my teacher was like, yeah, we're going to do Greco-Roman wrestling. Like, so you have to roll around and literally people just go so we get a, a most of a chapter dedicated to Kane's sporting career and there's only a little bit of the end where it's like and then he tried wrestling and then he gave up wrestling before he'd actually tried wrestling why do we care about Kane doing football and basketball what we do care about though is Dominguez who Kane lives with now he spoke to one of his old boys down at the station and apparently because so much time has passed now they are closing the case oh, on the Kane okay. family home so Kane is like late teens at this point now. Yeah, and he's pretty much it's one of those things where it's like when someone mentions it, he's like, oh My God, I haven't thought about that in years. Like he's trying to get on with his life now. He's settled into this home with Dominguez. Like it's he's got a relatively stable, kind of normal life. He's been lifting weights at the school every night. He's, he's really just, buff at this point in time. He's just a normal kid living with a retired policeman on his own. But Dominguez, what we do learn here is that it's obviously they've closed the case now. But what we didn't know before is that seven years ago, there was actually something else that came up in the case. The book only elected to tell us this now. It was when Paul Grimm was last sighted. Do you know where he was seen, Kevin? Was it in Connecticut at the World Wrestling Federation? That's a sportatorium. 
The Sportatorium. The Sportatorium gets name dropped here. Okay, I'm just saying, like, if we see, like, a young Steve Austin at any point, <laughs> like, you know, and that blonde haired child. When he go, ran those ropes. Like, <laughs> 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 it's the old chapter dedicated to Glenn Calloway seeing a young Steve Austin run those fucking ropes. I will say, we have been over quite a lot of time here. Kane is a senior now in high school. Like, yeah. he's at the age where. You want to start thinking about kissing some girls. How about that Katie Vicker? Well, him and Katie decide to go and visit the family plot. They've never been. Kane has never been to visit his family's graves. And Katie asks why this is. He's like, oh, I just never really thought about it. So they uh, they take a trip in Katie's car. You see Katie's granddad. He got a new car. So he gave Katie her his old car. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so Katie's got a car. Wait. It's an old car. Wait! Mm. I just remembered from Kane's promo. Oh. That Katie had problems with the... The stick shift? The stick shift. Well, uh, maybe that'll come up. But that's Katie's granddad's old car. So they go for a trip to the graves. And on the way back, he keeps banging on to Katie about the Kane family curse. And she's like, for fuck's sake, Glenn. Is that why you've never asked me out? And Glenn's like, duh. She's like, I've been waiting four years for you to ask me out on a date. Have you just not been doing it because you're worried that you're cursed? And Glenn's like, ah, shucks. You got me. They fall out for a little bit. And eventually they... And again, it's just like fucking... We managed to skip through six years in a, in a paragraph. <laughs> but their, their one week tiff that they have, it lasts a week, takes up a chapter of the book. Fucking hell! Um, eventually they get back together again and Katie's like, it's senior skip day, you know, it's the end of the semester, all the seniors are going to skip school. Oh, that everyone's going to eat a big bag of skips. And we're all going to go to the campus and we're all going to go and have a big all day party, drink some beer, have some burgers. Whoa! It's going to be wild. You said the B word straight away, I'm really really worried so well they they're like yeah let's go to this party that we definitely intend on getting drunk there katie why don't you drive us to that party so katie picks glenn up and they drive to the party and wouldn't you know it it's a load of bros and they're all having a broing good time it's, yeah. it's, so it's guys being dudes essentially just bros being guys uh, a few of those guys here's some of the names for you what oh you my are we got have we got former wwe competitors among the list We've got the names of former WWE competitors. Mm. I'll be astonished if they're meant to be these people. Foley is one of them. Crockett is the other. With, with the and, K and the Tibble T. Oh my yeah, God. And this one, <laughs> this isn't a wrestler, but I just love the guy's surname, Beat Hard. Beat Hard? Beat Hard. He's going to beat you up wicked hard. Is that beat with a hard with a little dash in the middle? No, or? no, just one word. Beat Hard. Beat Hard. Yeah. Maybe it's meant to be Beatherge. Beat. That's not as fun. It's not as fun, is it? I'm going to read it as beat hard from now on. Um, we get a little sample of the calibre of these guys. Someone sits down next to Kane with a boombox uh, and goes, Guns and roses, Foley said. Appetite for destruction. Welcome to the jungle. Fucking revolutionary, man. This fucking record. He nodded at the boombox. Fucking revolutionary. I thought he was just listing names of Guns and Roses. Like, <laughs> Welcome to the jungle. Sweet child of mine. Fucking revolutionary. <laughs> this CD right here, like... And someone, Beat Hard, comes over and goes, Hey man, play some Aerosmith, dude. Aerosmith? Foley shook his head in disgust. That shit is gay. Fuck you, Beat Hard said with a smile. You're gay. Fuck you. You're the gay one. It's the very gay party that they're having there. Yeah, they have a gay old time. I thought Kane would be like, Hey guys, how about this? And he puts on, it's like, The wonder of the world is gone. Fucking revolutionary, man. And all the lads at the party 
bet Kane that he can't lift a car up because he's meant to be freakishly strong and they're like I bet you can't lift a car I bet you're too gay to lift up that (laughs) car and they're like which car shall I lift I know I'll lift Katie's car I'll prove that I can easily lift up Katie's car and he does. He lifts up the bumper and he like holds it up full height and everything. And <laughs> I thought like, that's like what the crash was. Katie's <laughs> behind the wheel. What's going on? <laughs> Katie had a little bit too much to drink and I lifted up the car. <laughs> but he, he proves that he can lift up the car and everyone's like, all right, big man. He lifted up Katie's car. They all go on having a nice night. Kane and Katie go for a little walk in the woods at one point. They kiss. They confess that they've liked each other for a really long time. Aww. Everything's going to be okay. But it is getting kind of late, and Kane's like, well, we shouldn't stick around too much longer. I think we should head off. Katie is way too drunk to drive, though. She is in no condition to drive. And to be fair, neither is Glenn, because he's had four bottles of beer himself. Whoa, but he's a big boy. He's a boy, but a boy that doesn't drink, so he's feeling a little bit tipsy. But Katie's like, you should drive, and Glenn's like, I can't drive stick. And she's like, you should do it anyway. And Glenn's like, all right, then I will even though I can't drive and I'm a little bit drunk. And obviously there's no taxis or Ubers because the town obviously can't afford them in the same way they can't afford DNA testing. (laughs) And she's like, it's fine because we're just going down the side of a mountain. All you've got got to do is freewheel it all the way to the bottom. We're just just driving all the way around Deathhorn Peak. On a cliff. You know know which cliff it is they're going to drive alongside on the way home? The Widowmaker? It's the cliff where her father was killed in duty as a uh, a ranger in the past. The exact same cliff is the way they're going to drive home. Dead Vic Cliff. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine, like, what's wrong, you know? And wouldn't you know it, when they get to that exact bit of highway, that's where the car crash happens. That's where the curse kicks in. Yeah, car spins out of control. Madness. All of a sudden, everything goes dark. Kane wakes up, and he's on the side of the road. Blood everywhere. He can smell flames again. He looks over, and the car is still sort of teetering on the edge of the cliff. And you can see Katie inside. And, oh, that was the page at the start of the book. Do you remember? Oh, Glenn Kane. Glenn Kane, even though he's Glenn Calloway. Do they actually call him Glenn Kane this page? No. This page, it's the same stuff, right. but slightly different. It's in the first page of the book, they called him Glenn. You Payne know, it's the no first reason. page of the book, and they're Glenn Calloway. They're like, they're not going to know. It's, People aren't going to keep reading. They're going to go, that's the wrong book. Well, they read it, they're like, Glenn Kane. Oh, that's Kane's name. So this is the point of the book where you know it's definitely not been written like as a Triple H DX parody. Like, <laughs> it was at this point I noticed that I was hung like an animal in rock hearts. <laughs> So Katie's trapped in the car and Glenn immediately runs over and he grabs the back of the bumper and it's like, well, he lifted it earlier, so it shouldn't be a problem. But the one time that he needed to be strong, Kevin, that's when he couldn't get the strength. And he watches Katie fall off the cliff in the car and the car does a big boom at the bottom of the oh, cliff. Oh, shit, I didn't know she exploded. Yeah, yeah. The car falls to the bottom of the cliff, does a big boom. That and- will explain why they had a mannequin dressed in a cheerleader's uniform. It's like... There's no body left, so here's a rough approximation of what we thought she looked like. So, Kane screams, and then he dives into the fire at the bottom of the cliff himself. Oh, because he's still immune to fire, obviously. End of book one, Kevin. Oh my god, Adam Bibolo! And it's over the halfway point. Book two is significantly shorter. Oh, I'm sorry, you're two-thirds of the way done on this bad boy! Well, no, I've read a little bit of book two as well here. I was going to say, I thought we would have been, like, right in the middle halfway point. No, book, book two is a little bit slimmer. I can tell you book two will take us up to present day bold modern Kane and we've got to fit all of that from the car crash to Kane's career. Still no Gene Snitsky. No Snitsky, not a sniff of Snitsky, not a sniff of Lita. But we do have last little bit here now. 
is we do have a little interlude between the two books because obviously there's going to be such a huge tonal shift. Absolutely, when you're going from curse to vengeance, that's exactly. just, you know. You've got to have a little bit of an interlude to let the uh, let the story breathe a, a little bit. A palate cleanser. So we find out that the town of Marfa, because Katie Vick, 18-year-old Katie Vick, was a bit of a Laura Palmer type, the whole town goes into grieving over the accident. Everyone's really upset. Obviously, Katie's dead. They find her body, but they don't find Glenn's remains. Mm. So naturally, they just think, oh, well, he's definitely dead. Just, I don't know, a bird went off with it or something. <laughs> so we'll just, we'll have an empty grave in the Kane plot for Glenn, because Glenn is definitely dead. Even though there's not a body there, Glenn is definitely dead. He's dead. So he's dead. But the entire town, like, it's one of those they spit on his grave kind of situation because it's like, you killed the most fucking precious darling girl in this entire town. Oh. You piece of shit monster. Like, they hate him. They hate him. My God. And then we hit second interlude. There's another interlude. This book is so fucking... What a weird construction this book trash. is. Trash. Interludes. What is this? But what it is here is we have a mysterious man visiting the Kane family plot, looking at all the graves. Mm. And he's looking over Glenn Calloway and Mark Calloway and Susanna Calloway and Randall Calloway. And there is another man with him. This mysterious little fat, bold, mustachioed man is being accompanied by a taller, more mysterious man. And we find out as Grimm steps out in front of Glenn's tombstone so that the man that he's with can't see the dates written on the tombstone. <gasps> Because you see, Grimm had told this man that Glenn had died in the same fire all those years ago. Sorry, so Undertaker has literally been fooled by Paul Berrigan and going, don't look at this particular part, but yes, he is dead, see? He told, he told him that Glenn died in the same fire as Randall and Susanna, and he was going to let him go on thinking that. But it doesn't matter, because the man wasn't interested in Glenn's grave. He moved past that, past Susanna's and Randall's, to the one on the far end of the four. Mark Calloway, said the man, and made a rumbling noise within his body, sort of like a... <sighs> I, I thought of it more of like a... Rest in peace. There it is. <laughs> and it took Grimm a moment to realise that he was laughing. My grave, the man said, <laughs> and then laughed out loud. Grimm put a hand on Mark Calloway's arm. Yes, Mark, your grave. Nothing in my grave, <laughs> said Mark, smiling. No, said Grimm, nothing and no one, which was, of course, their little secret. <laughs> Literally says their little oh secret. Oh my god! What a saucy, scintillating little secret. So we learn that Paul Bearer has kidnapped the Undertaker yeah. and convinced him that Cain died in the same fire as well. So this is different to how I always would have assumed it was, because I always assumed that Bearer kidnapped Cain mm. and, you know... That was the impression I got, you know, yeah. Sequestered him away, but... Yeah. This is uh, taking a much, much stranger path altogether. We also learned that they're a bit tired, both of these men, because Von Erich has been working them particularly hard lately. Are you fucking kidding me? Legit, that's what me, he says. Me, Mark Calloway, working the fucking territories. Yeah. Oh my fucking God. Oh my God. So I think we're going to leave it there for now, because next time we look at this, we'll actually get to talk about the shit we cared about. Like, yeah. how does it kayfabe make sense? Like, is wrestling... Wrestling's got to be shooting this right right there's no way wrestling can be a work and have this make sense right right they can't break kayfabe mm. so i'm looking forward to finding out how kane ends up a meeting paul bearer ending up in the world wrestling federation how undertaker got to this point as well 
didn't take a burn down the funeral home? Was that Gene Snitsky? Like, what's going to happen? Wait, is Snitsky Gene Snitsky in this, this book? Is he here? Because like, I will say, it is entirely, entirely possible that the press release I read was completely wrong. Oh, because yeah. Because the press release for WDF, uh, the Big Apple takedown, the press release for that says that Booker T's in it, and he's not. It's Chavo. I get the feeling that they, WWF, were hoping that it was going to be that kind of book. So they released the press release before they've seen like the first draft of anything. Yeah. And obviously, they didn't want to wait for him to rewrite the whole book, so they just released what they had, which is mostly the story of an orphan moving from home to home, having a series of unfortunate events, <laughs> and then meeting up with his childhood sweetheart, look only away, to kill her. Look away. <laughs> I was so fucking bored and frustrated with most of this because I was really hoping that it would be like, oh man, because next chapter, surely Paul Bear is going to show up and then we're going to find out about Kane's powers and we're going to find out about how he loses his voice. No powers really, yeah, just nerve No disorders. powers whatsoever. He's got a disease, a freaky disease that means that he can't feel pain, which also, you know, it doesn't make sense because obviously Kane does feel pain. He loses matches left, right and centre. You see him wincing and selling all the time. There's even moments in the book where he Crazy feels pain. pain like, like yeah. they just forget that he has this <laughs> disorder. It's just, I think that, that should have been, everything we've just been over there should have been the first quarter of the book and nothing more. First not the, thirds, Not the like. majority of the reading. <laughs> that was too much guff. And that was the backstory that no one gave a shit about. Well, that's the end of our uh, book report from Adam here. We will, for now. For now, we'll return with a part two down the line. And we will do, I think, future book club and book reports. If, if, yeah, if this is well received, if people want to hear more, I'm, I've definitely, you know, there's no end of wrestling books we can look at. Sadly, there's only this and Big Apple Takedown in terms of fiction, but there's all sorts of mad wrestling books out there we can look at. I think the idea of us with our patrons doing a book club where we all agree to read <laughs> Everyone a reads together. Book and we yeah. read together, it would just be like Oprah. China, if they only knew. If they only knew. Little did they know what a star she would become. <laughs> so that's going to do it for this bit of a book report. If you have any ideas for terrible wrestling books that you would like to see us maybe do a book report, or if you like the idea of us doing a book club together as one big happy glad gay community family, let us know in the comments below. Hope you're enjoying your content here on Patreon. Thanks for being a backer. It's a goodbye for me, Kevin. And me, Adam. And we'll see you next time on the AE Podcast. Hi there patrons, it's time for part two of Journey into Darkness, The Kane Story. Is it, is it got that as a subtitle? The Kane it's Story. It's the unofficial, the unauthorised story of Kane. Okay, now we had a lot of fun with part one. We did. Part two, you've been assuring me, has been, even though a, a, a much slimmer volume mm -hmm. is uh, a lot more substantial in terms of uh, wackiness. Madness. Mad yes. Madness. 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 I can see why the good man Michael Chiapetta decided to spend so long on the pre-story and the Katie Vick saga. It's because as soon as you get to the WWF, you've suddenly got to work with the WWF storylines and the whose side is he on drama and try and make it make sense. We fucking struggled to make this make sense. Yeah. And we had the benefit of being long-term wrestling fans and yeah. having a long-form podcast to pick it apart. So he spent the majority of the book doing what he can where he hasn't got these handcuffs on him, obviously, because as soon as we get into the territory where it's like, 
All right, now you've actually got to make it fit the Kane character. Oh boy, the wheels fucking fall off the car. Oh man, right, I'm so excited to get into this one. Hi everyone once again, uh, this is The Water, joined alongside by The Well. Drink full and descend into this journey into darkness. Kevin and Adam here, as always. Hey, I want to say off the bat, Michael Chiapetta, mm -hmm. the author of this. Now, as soon as I got that book and I noticed, oh, Michael Chiapetta. Mm. Chiapets. <laughs> That's not what I thought. <laughs> That's what you thought. But I thought Michael Chiapetta, that was the name of Zack Ryder's roommate during <laughs> Z True Long Island story. Really? And a number of people are like, oh yeah, this was written by Michael Chiapetta. What? Now, I've looked high and low and can find no firm evidence of that. One whatsoever. way or the other. One way or the other. Okay. Now, I'll tell you, Michael Chiapetta, he ended up having his own little spin-off show from Z True Long Island Story. Oh. It was Chi True Long Island <laughs> Story, you know. And of course, Brodus Clay getting his own one, which was She True Long Island Story. But yeah, Chi True Long Island Story, which had the, the song Chiapetta, Long Island Ice Chi Chiapetta. Oh. Uh, so I, when you all, lovely patrons, were like, oh, is that the author of this book? Is Michael Chiapetta, who used to sleep on a, a mattress in Zack Ryder's apartment back in 2011. Don't know. Uh, I had to start going and looking up about it. Yeah. And I must admit, Adam, I didn't like what I found. Oh? Well, Long Island Ice Chi kind of fell off the radar around the same time as... Z True Long Island story kind of, you know, fell off the radar that meant that the respective careers of Zack Ryder's father, the big O, stay out of his ozone, and Michael Chiapetta all kind of similarly floundered because he, they were all supporting characters yeah. in the Z True Long Island story universe. So literally, Chiapetta seemed to have completely deleted his entire online presence in 2012 until I went onto Facebook and I found him because I could notice I noticed the look in his eyes. And Adam, he's become a soulless corporate husk of his former self. Oh no. Just some lad in a suit on fucking Facebook. <laughs> the kind of guy who hits on girls on LinkedIn. It's just sad. So if, if he did actually write this and you have of actual proof get in touch get in touch please please gotta know this would love to know because I really feel that Chia Pet needs to have another feather to his bow otherwise mm. I'm gonna be very disappointed if yeah. he's just what's this Thai business Chia yeah. Pet you know alright we're prolonging the inevitable here let's uh, let's get into it let's get cracking quick recap then so last time what did we learn Glenn Kane Kane family curse yeah Barrett, what is it? The Barrows, <laughs> Calloways, Barrett Barrage, No Snitsky, Beat Hard, Beat Hard, Foley, The Vicks, The Sportatorium, I remember that. Oh, yeah, a little bit of Sportatorium. Where we left off, though, the important thing. Bearer, well, Paul Grimm, is now looking after The Undertaker, who is alive. Ain't nothing in mad, Grimm. <laughs> and, and Glenn Kane died. In the fire when the car exploded off the cliff that yeah. uh, Katie Vick was also killed in. And he was also viewed as being like, oh, that's the that's the guy. We spit on his grave. We spit like, on his grave. Yeah. And Undertaker, of course, there's nothing in his grave. Nothing in my grave. <laughs> <laughs> I really was hoping that he looked down and go, there ain't no grave. Could hold, hold my body, body down. down. <laughs> Johnny Cash is just... Ain't no grave. Sitting on a tombstone <laughs> playing a guitar. <laughs> So, we pick up in book two, Avenged. Straight away, two years pass. 
Melissa Vick, Katie's grieving mother, throws herself into her social work and just becomes a workaholic, basically. Oh, that's the worst. Paul Grimm is now officially under the name Paul Bearer. He made all of his own fake IDs, fake licenses and everything, so... Why? Well, we get the feeling that he's on the run or something, I guess. Oh! And he wanted to... Remember, the police were looking for him last time and all they found was the Kane family scrapbook and a red and black mask. And, of course, they're looking for Paul Grimm, not Paul Bear. And exactly. Course, Paul Bear, I'm assuming, has gotten rid of all of his trademark features that can make him easily identify them, such as his high-pitched voice, his moustache, his pale skin, and his rotund figure. <laughs> yeah, you won't be seeing those on WWF television. <laughs> <laughs> We learn that pro wrestling, this is good, this is a big revelation we've been waiting for in the book. Oh no. Pro wrestling is occasionally staged, to use their terminology. Occasionally? Occasionally staged. Okay. So, there's a stigma in the book that wrestling is fake. Okay. And people are like, only sometimes. And they don't really, it's kind of like ready to rumble, they don't really explain. in, in the sense that... Wrestlers will have predetermined outcomes, but there will be instances where, like in WCW 2000, where it's like, he went against the script, Maybe. but Buff Bagwell was meant to take a jackhammer at him, and now he's he's one for real. But in that scenario, you're saying there is a script, so that means it's fake, right? So they, yeah. they've struggled with this. Then. They've struggled with this. I was wondering and... if there would be some kind of cute or intelligent explanation for this. Uh-uh. Kind of, no. It only comes up like a couple of times, the idea of it being fake. So are they kind of saying like, yeah, it's fake, but Kane and Undertaker, they're for real. Well, we'll get further into it as the oh! story goes on. So in what context do they originally reveal that it is fake and inverted commas or stage is it just like randomly like Kane was watching TV it was as, all fake as far as I remember because I said before like the book switches perspectives we're with Paul Bearer for a little bit here and as far as I can recall it's something like him thinking to himself like all oh, those people out there think wrestling's fake well I mean it is sometimes occasionally staged but after all <laughs> like, I think that's how it comes <laughs> up Paul first like, like, look at those people out there thinking that it's fake of course it, it is. <laughs> oh, wait. Suckers. Oh, wait, is this? I don't fucking know. Oh, we got their money. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but it turns out the whole way this mess got started is because at some point when Paul was looking after young Mark, mm. a mate of his got him some tickets to go and see a wrestling show. And why was Paul looking after young Mark? It was after the fire. Okay. All we know is that the house burnt down and then after that, Paul was looking after Mark. Hmm. You don't really know how that came about necessarily. But we learned that they were taken to a wrestling show by one of Paul's friends. Paul didn't seem that keen on it, but apparently Mark was just like transfixed, like in love with wrestling all of a sudden. So he actually started hanging out with some of the wrestlers because he was so fascinated by it. And next thing you know, he's got a job there, like doing a bit of training. Mark Calloway, you're so mean. I kind of feel like you should. (laughs) Well, they end up working, well, Mark ends up working at CIW, which they don't actually say in the book what federation that's meant to be. But he works for Von Erich. They don't say which Von Erich. Okay, WCCW is the Von Erich's territory, World Class Championship Wrestling. CIW. Again, they don't tell you what that stands for. Just CIW. Classic international wrestling. <laughs> and Mark wrestles under several names over this point in his career. Punisher. Yes, that's a real one he used. Commando. Is that a real yes. one? Yes. Mark Callis. Yes. And my favourite, Texas Red. Oh my god, I've never heard Texas Red, but holy shit. Well, you see, in this town there lived an outlaw by the name of Texas Red. (laughs) Many men had tried to take him and, well, 
Many men were dead, Kevin. And the notches on his belt. Numbered one and 19 more. The one in 21 <laughs> and one. Yeah, that's right, 20. Or one and 19 more, as we say in the West. <laughs> Big iron mark. <laughs> uh, eventually, Bearer hashes out a deal with some guy called McMahon. For and, fuck's um, sake! And put... <laughs> Who is Paul? Why is he doing any of this? I, I will say as well, I thought it was going to be Paul Grimm and Mark Calloway went to the WWF and then they came up with the gimmick names Undertaker yeah, yeah. and Paul Bearer. He's just been travelling with the real name Paul Bearer for the past few years now. So like, are we right in assuming that this lad, like, Dustin realised that his name's a pun? Because, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's directly linking you to... <laughs> to the scene of the crime. To the funeral parlor. That's like if you were done for hit-and-run manslaughter and you changed your name to John Carr. Like, you know, it's just fucking suspicious, isn't it? <laughs> it turns out Paul Bearer is the one that came up with the Undertaker gimmick in this, in this canon. He came up with it and the entire brand of the Undertaker, basically. Paul Bearer is very much the puppet master of The Undertaker's fate. We learn that Melissa Vick, who is still living in the town of Marfa, Texas, where Kane and uh, Katie died, she's been hearing a lot of stories lately about some sort of bear or creature that lives up in the cliffs. Is it like a Christmas creature? Well, it's, it's the area where Katie and Glenn died. There's some sort of monster there. Uh, apparently, it occasionally comes down to steal a sheep or a rabbit. <laughs> And then disappears again. Like, oh my god. Fast forward a few more years. Again, this is just just so you know, this is how the second book is going to be now, all the way. We're just going to be like, and then this happened, fast forward, and then this happened, fast forward. Like, it's non-stop now till the end. So you're telling me that in the, the Act 3, Michael Chiapetta's shortcomings as a novelist are coming to the forefront. Yeah, what initially started off as a great, fantastic read is now being a little bit exposed as not so fantastic. Much like the wrestler who's wrestled for ten minutes too long, <laughs> Chia Pet has blown up. So a couple of years pass. Mark is now a big dog in WWF as The Undertaker. He's one of the uh, main eventers. And is he got magic? Is that real in this book? Or is that a spoiler question? We'll get to that. Okay. Turns out Bearer has some sort of sick fascination with chemicals that we learn out at this point. So apparently, like, he's always been this way. Like, he's a chemical fiend. He's obsessed with chemicals and the love of chemistry and, like, drugs and okay. medicines and just... But they always use the word chemicals. It's chemicals. All, always chemicals. It's like, a slow chemical. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you'll only do the song if you... <laughs> put the word chemical in 20 times uh. cut back to Marfa Texas it's been a few years now don't forget some hikers stumble across a cave in the mountain a cave yeah a cane cave they find a cave that contains small animal bones a lot of human feces and amidst some ashes this is the best a small scrap of paper that says fire walk with me no it says cane on it <laughs> in capital letters it says cane it just says cane there's like a little bit of ash with just Kane written So on. how many years have passed since Kane is... About four or five, I think, since the death of Glenn. And in the time he's just been, what, gorging on woodland animals and building up his own fucking body weight and Living shit. Living in a cave. Right well, that, that is if you've worked out that the monster in the woods is, is Glenn, because they haven't told you that outright yet. But... Glenn, monster, Kane. <laughs> <laughs> so... Now now we've built up this image of Kane being like, oh, he's a scary monster living in a cave, eating things. He's like an ogre, he's a Shrek. We finally rejoin him for the story, and he's living as a bum on a pier, 
like he's a homeless guy living on a pier. He's not a monster living in a cave now. He's oh, that's all right then. Living on a pier, moving he's, on up in society. You he's know? disfigured and barely able to speak. But there's an evening where on the pier there's like one security guard on shift and a bunch of thugs try and break into one of the warehouses. And Kane is there, and Kane manages to save this security guard's life, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's that's really great." Hey, do you need a job? And he's like, oh, "Yeah, I need a job." Um, so Kane gets hired as a security guard on a pier. When, what? When, what? When they ask him, um, "Hey, what's your name for your name badge?" He goes, "Kane," and they say, "First or last?" And he goes, "Both." <laughs> Like Luigi Mario and Mario Mario. Kane squared. The Kane factor. Kane Van Kaley. While Kane is living as a bum on a pier and as becoming a security guard, is he like covered his face? Is he wearing like kind of a bag over it or Elephant Man type gimmick? Do they mention? Because he said disfigured, right? So hard to understand because it goes back and forth on this quite a lot. At this point in the book... Kane is grotesque and hairy. Like an elephant man type, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's been living in a cave eating fucking squirrels. Yeah. So... Jeez, imagine but, the diarrhea from that. But fucking it's never hell. really clearly made if he's just like all manky and horrible from living like this. Or if he's actually burned. They imply that he's burned still and disfigured. And that he hasn't got a voice anymore, but then he does talk to the people that he... Oh. <laughs> It's honestly a page-by-page page basis, what's going It's like 1984. Like, you have to learn to forget what you already know. <laughs> like, you actually have to learn double-think to read this book. This is basically what happens when a novelist is told to write a backstory for a character who has got a massively contradictory yes. non-film. Like, he's obviously too afraid to ask this man... So, is he actually burnt, or is he yeah. not? He was like, I'll say it here sometimes, yeah. and sometimes I won't. It's like he's writing the novel while he's going down Kane's Wikipedia entry, and he's literally not going back and editing anything. And then anything. the hurricane showed up, <laughs> and then Kane Rob Van Damme. He's got a stinky skunk. Look, just because Kane's face is burnt doesn't mean the rest of him is. Like... Have they, yeah, because there's a lot of talk about Kane's willy recently on Smackdown Crawl. We, now I've finished the book, I can say there is no mention of Kane having a crispy penis. Such is the hubris of DX. I know, yeah. The salacious lies. Pure slander. Pure and simple. So Undertaker is doing fantastic over in WWF. We get a little list of some of the names that he's fought and defeated. Beat Hard. (laughs) Foley. (laughs) Von Erich. Hulk Hogan. Hitman Hart. Ah, he's the worst. Hitman Hart. Lex Luger. Giant Kamala. Giant Giant Kamala! Giant Kamala. Giant Gonzalez. And the 400-pound Japanese wrestler, Yokozuna. Giant Yokozuna. (laughs) Giant Japanese Yokozuna. I wonder if they think that everyone who is, like, over a certain size has to be given the prefix of giant, like Mr. Ah, Giant Gonzalez. Giant Yokozuna. (laughs) Giant Kamala. (laughs) You know, you keep eating, you'll be Giant Undertaker soon, (laughs) you know? Now, I mentioned to you in the first book, there's a few scenes with Paul Grimm in, like, nightmares and stuff where you do get the sort of, like, oh, he's kind of a scary fella kind of vibe off of him. We're spending a lot more time with Paul Grimm at this point because we're getting sort of a cutting between Kane and Undertaker now. So we learn a bit more about Paul Bearer and it's just, it's surprising the way that Michael Chiapetta decided to flesh out Paul Bearer. The first half of the book, oh, he's a scary, mysterious guy. Second half of the book, and this is an actual verbatim extract, he ate steak, a lot of steak, an ice cream. His favourite was Ben and Jerry's, anything with chocolate in it. He had a pint with him now in his overcoat pocket. What? 
pockets! He had a pint with him now in his overcoat pocket, burning a hole in it, you could say. He shut the door to his hotel room behind him and set the pint down on the kitchenette counter. He'd eat it in a minute, but first there was a phone call he wanted to make. You see, Hello, I'm ringing the ice cream factory. Like, can I have some more, please? He had an idea, looking at all the different Ben and Jerry's flavors in the 7-Eleven. What about Undertaker ice cream? Little fudge caskets, red hots, chocolate ice cream, of course. He could just about taste it. Perhaps he could be on the label, too, alongside the Undertaker. His own ice cream. He shivered with delight. So, all of this, the abduction of a child, the burning down of a home... There's been a roundabout way for uh, a man with an eating problem <laughs> to live out his dream <laughs> of, of having more ice cream. Right? You see, Journey into Darkness is actually a story of a man that just loves ice cream and wants to be on the label. That what that's what happens when you don't keep that shit in check. Yeah, because you know, when we first started the Edgeware podcast, I briefly worked at a call center, which is right beside a spa, mm. and every day for like the three months that I worked there. I would buy a pack of sausage rolls from Spar, those lovely heat lamp sausage rolls. Mm. Fun fact about me, I love sausage rolls. Mm. I love them a lot. You're a Brit. You nearly said you're an Englishman for a second then, Kevin. Of course you love sausage rolls, but I do apologise. <laughs> As a Republican, I love sausage rolls <laughs> independently from the clutches of the tyrannical British Empire. Thank you very much. But I used to put them in my pocket as well. You know, I'd wrap them up, you know, put them in there. I'm just kind of thinking, Jesus, you know, I, I recognise that's a problem. I need mm. to get that shit in check. And I and thankfully I did. And thank God I did. Because who knows what I would have burnt down the place. You know, get my own sausage rolls. <laughs> you know, eating them all non-stop. I'll, I'll say as well, a pint of ice cream. Have you tried to fit a whole pint of Ben and Jerry's in your pocket before now, Kevin? It doesn't fit in there. Like. <laughs> you ever had a pint of sausage rolls? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That's that's a little bit of a character building on Paul Bear. He, so, is he, he just to... this like silly kind of roly-poly, like, caricature. It, it changes. It switches between, like, he uses chemicals, he drugs people, he's sinister, to, like, where, oh, where are my ice cream bars? Like, it, it, it's a mess. It's a fucking mess. So, Kane is working as a peer guard. He does it for over a year, doing naff all, just fucking faffing about working as a peer guard for a year. You know, I'd like to think is that, you know, he worked in the pier at the same time, because Steve Austin used to work on a pier briefly, mm. uh, loading boxes. I was no good at <laughs> and it. And when he saw him run those ropes. <laughs> exactly, you know, when he saw him run on that fucking forklift, it's just wow, the intensity of <laughs> So he's been working there for a year. One day he's in the break room getting a coffee and he looks over. <laughs> Normally yeah, it's like, You think this is about coffee? Well, it is. I love coffee. <laughs> he's just hanging out in the break room and one of his colleagues is watching TV. And uh, who's on TV? It's, well, it's wrestling. And oh, who's that in the, the room there? That's the big tall fellow with a hat and a tie and a big coat. And that guy next to him looks a lot like Paul Grimm. And it's one of those moments where Kane drops the coffee cup on the floor. Oh, he didn't go... <laughs> <laughs> And he spits out all his squirrel bones like. <laughs> he literally runs off and leaves and sets off for Cleveland I hope like, he rips open his security guard outfit and reveals the cane attire underneath like now he sees Paul Bearer and Undertaker on TV in WWF and they're in Cleveland and he immediately sets off to go to Cleveland and find them like and in the book that's like that's it he's going to go to Cleveland and find Paul Bearer Mate, WWF tours? Yeah. Like, is it like NXT in this universe and it's just in Cleveland? Welcome like, to Cleveland. 
I mean, that's a, that's a bit of a swing and a miss there on Kane's behalf. Sorry, I just love the fact that you can go in the space of a year from living, you know, in a cave full of your own shit. <laughs> Writing your name on a bit of paper. To, you know, working as What's up, Barry? How are you doing today? Morning shift treating you well? Like, Hey, at least I'm not in a cave full of my own shit. Oh! <laughs> so, Paul Barrett, still obsessed with Ben and Jerry's. Like, this is a recurring thing. This comes up again and again. And like, it's not just... They're specifically saying Ben and Jerry's. Yes. And this comes up more than the idea of kayfabe. Like, him liking ice cream is so well established. Well, at least Michael Chiapetta has got his fucking principles and priorities in order. Yeah, make the fat man obsessed with ice cream. Really fucking good writing We there, get Michael, it, like. Like. So, he's been dumped by The Undertaker, because apparently he cost Undertaker a match against Mankind That's at King true. of the Ring. That's true, that happened, yeah. Well, he didn't, I mean, he didn't get dumped by The Undertaker. He dumped The Undertaker, because... Mm. You know, he, the idea was the boiler room brawl and you were to come into the ring and reclaim the urn from Paul Bear to win. Mm. Taker came out first and he posed in front of him and Paul Bear wouldn't give it to him. And then uh, Mankind attacked him and they bet him up together. Not in this universe. He accidentally cost Undertaker the match and gets dumped as a result. And Bear is all upset that he's been dumped. That is not it. Oh, guys, there's going to be a whole fucking thing where he eats loads of ice cream because uh. he's sad now. Um, well, he manages Foley now, and he says he regrets wasting all of that effort, energy, and chemicals on Mark. Ch- chemicals? Yeah, and then he implies that Mark sometimes has issues separating himself from the Undertaker character, which I thought was quite interesting. Mm. Right. Uh, worth noting, immediately after this, Paul Bearer eats two pints of Ben & Jerry's at 1am. So. What?! <laughs> yeah! How does that come up in a sentence?! <laughs> BTW ate two ice cream tubs. Well, actually, no, sorry. I should say he ate one. He started eating the second one and then he said, no, I'm going to save this for breakfast tomorrow. Legit. Legit. Like, this is important storytelling. I'm going to save that for breakfast. (laughs) The chemicals that Paul has, Mm. is that implied that the reason Undertaker can do superhuman things is because of the chemicals? No. Okay. No, we'll get to that. We'll get the, to the that. The chemicals are important. Well, they're not important. Still Nothing is important. As like, unlike Ben and Jerry's. Like, yeah. that's <laughs> like, yeah. um, so Kane makes it to Cleveland, where they still are, apparently. And he confronts Paul Bearer in the shadows. And he's like, he finds him in the shadows one night. And Bearer does this whole thing where he's like, Who's there? Uh, Sean? Brett? Austin? It's not Austin, is it? Like, it's just lame. Listing all the stars <laughs> yeah, in the attitude yeah. era. Because they're all on first name terms, buddy, buddy. So Kane finally gets his hands on Paul Bearer and he strangles him in the shadows. And he's about to murder him when Bearer manages to tell him that Mark survived the fire and he invites him up to the hotel room to talk and to explain everything. This is automatically ruins the Kane character for me because, like, no matter where we go from here, because the idea I always had in my head was that Bearer raised him. Bearer raised him. Yep. And that he was keeping him secret this whole time. Yep. He, he said as much in his promos. Uh-huh. And this just seems like, well, of course he knows that his, his brother's alive now. He's seen him on fucking telly. I don't, <laughs> the thing that you're angry about is true. Oh, I won't hurt you then. That's okay. <laughs> Have some more ice cream. Well, I will say, Kane didn't recognise The Undertaker on TV. Oh, he, he just saw Paul Bearer okay. and saw Red. Like. Okay. So they go up to the hotel room and fucking... Kane, like it's, it's just so many bits of like this guy doesn't understand how to write in other people's voices because you get things like Bearer being like, "Can I get you a drink?" and Kane's like, "I'll take a coke." Like, and so he gets some, and, <laughs> and he slips something in Kane's coke to make sure that he cooperates in the way that he wants. What? 
What so, is this whole thing with him and chemicals? It's so, so weird. Bearer fills him in and explains. As he's drugging him. After the fire, Mark managed to escape and I rescued him and I saved him and now he's a big wrestling superstar. Kane not really got many questions. He just wants to kill Mark for leaving the family to die in the fire. Like, that's Kane's only motivation at yeah. the minute. Find Mark, kill him. He's a traitor. And that's all we're doing right now. Bearer explains to him about wrestling and says, like, you know, if you want to get to him, why don't you try and meet him in his world? Why don't you try and learn how to do wrestling? But it's fake, I think. Yeah, Kane <laughs> says, that wrestling shit, Kane snorted. Everyone knows that's fake. Really? Kane stuck his jaw out. Yeah. Bearer took a deep breath then, and before he could get, talk himself out of it, delivered a punishing elbow right to Kane's gut. The man gasped for air and bent over double. Is that fake? Like, you know, it's just that I was proving a point. So he does, like, the Finlay... It, oh, of... isn't wrestling fake? Boom! My father's was, not fake! Was, was that fake? You used that word! <laughs> you should have never been broken in the security guard business! <laughs> Take that shit back to the cave. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the last we're gonna hear about wrestling being fake as well. By the way, that's wait, it. so that's it? It's like he hits him in the like wrestling's fake. I have hit you for real, so it's not fake. Yes, and that's it. Like, oh, okay, now I know where we're at, so that's fine. Okay, that's all right. No more questions here. So, you know, do you remember one of your predictions for book two, where we were going, where locale we were going to end up at some point? You thought we were going to head on down to Mexico, seeing as how there'd been connections with Mexico all yeah. throughout the book? Well, Kevin, you were completely wrong, because we're going to Madrid in Spain. Um, Paul says that Kane has to go to Madrid in order to become a good wrestler. Madrid? Madrid. Madrid? Now, I don't know as much about the world of wrestling as you do. Is Madrid even remotely known for its wrestling scene? No. No, it's not, I mean, it? like... It's probably got one. On but... mainland Europe, when you're talking about actual wrestling scenes, the only one that traditionally had a really strong wrestling scene, other than you know, obviously the UK, um, Germany uh, had right. catch, which is obviously you know had several tournaments all throughout the years, very popular sport, kind of maintained a following all throughout. But Spain, I've never really heard anything. No, because I know that there's some French wrestlers, but again, like any kind of like. French and Austrian and Hungarian, like a lot of the kind of surrounding countries would go to mm -hmm. Germany to wrestle because that was kind of where it was kind of big. But it, again, it was never like big on a super national stage, even still. Not like in Mexico or Japan or Canada or America. One of the obvious places where you'd think if you were writing a book about a man training to wrestle, you'd send him to one of the really obvious I mean, wrestling I, countries. I went so. to Madrid and all I got was sunburn, you know, <laughs> even though I had Factor 50 on. If I'm not mistaken, I think in real life, Glenn Jacobs was born in Madrid. Or really? Or li lived there for a few years as a kid. Because I remember hearing that was the reason why this happened in the book. That's I, I'm, very I'm, I'm willing to bet on this now. I think yeah. Kane was born in Madrid, actually. Okay. So this is probably the author's way of being like, blurring the lines, baby. We're the taking it back to Madrid. The like. they're going, I don't fuck all that wrestling, <laughs> man. I got some facts about Kane and I scrambled them up in the wrong order. I mean, like, uh, the only thing I can think of when you keep saying Spain and wrestling is Julio et Fantastico. 
Because mm. I think he might have been Spanish. He doesn't get a mention in this, I'm afraid. He doesn't. But he is dressing like Michael Jordan is to, <laughs> to the basketballer. So Kane gets a plane to Spain to train in how to inflict pain. And, um, <laughs> do you the, wanna... the Kane in Spain trains mainly on the plane, is what you're saying. <laughs> do you want to know the name of the wrestler that Kane has been sent to train with? I swear to fucking God. Please, it's, please tell me it's B-Hard. He's gone to Spain to learn wrestling with the Spaniard. <laughs> Why in Spain would there be a wrestler called the fucking Spaniard? Because he's the only one in Spain. <laughs> he's the only wrestler. So Kane does the whole typical impatient, like, why have I got to learn this shit? I'm ready to go right now. I can go. I'm good. So. I don't want to do no wrist lock. I want to do a German missile drop kick. So the guy puts him in a handicap cage match against two random dudes. What, is his first match? Yeah, like without any training, just to sort of teach him a lesson. And you're like, oh yeah, Kane's going to get his ass handed to him and then he'll realise the value of training and trying and perseverance. No, Kane handily destroys them. <laughs> And then the coach is like, you know, in all my years, I've never seen a fighter like you, Kane. And, oh my God, in a few weeks, I swear to God, weeks we're talking about here, within a few weeks, Kane becomes trained in jiu-jitsu, krav maga, kung fu, kickboxing, and wrestling. Now, I'm sure you remember as many times as I do when Kane would whip out the odd Krav Maga throw in Absolutely. the middle of a wrestling match. Kane would obviously pop in the old Kata Hajime as well, you know. Uh, maybe a tiger uppercut here He's or there. Like. Literally trying to make him into a superhero. This is like if a child fucking designed him. <laughs> and he knows all the martial arts. And he learned it in a month. He was really, really good. And no one was ever better than him. <laughs> so... That's it. Within weeks, he's learned everything. And it's like, you are the greatest wrestler that's ever walked into this gym. You know everything you need to know to go and take down your brother. Kung Fu. Yep. Jiu-Jitsu. Yep. Kickboxing. Kickboxing. I mean, he does a big boot now and then, I guess. I mean, I watched No Retreat, No Surrender, and Kane would struggle to keep up with Van Damme. (laughs) He would struggle to keep up with Van Damme. So... There's a flimsy explanation. Sorry, I keep, I keep. I feel like every time I look at my notes, I sigh because of <laughs> all the fucking misery in this book. Nothing but flimsy excuses. You've come here to. We're finally at the point you've been waiting for, Kevin. Yeah. And you're gonna be so let down because this is as close as we get to an explanation of powers, um... and they don't even really address it on the nose. Um... They really dance around it. So there's no talk about the lightning or the Undertaker having a big booming voice or any of him like appearing in the ring. They yeah. never explain any of that. All they say is that one evening there was an accident, a particularly flamboyant display that got a little bit out of control. A burst of fire that was intended for mankind hit Paul Bearer instead. Oh. Is that meant to be like... Oh, that there were pyrotechnics. <clears throat> and it was a... Um... Poor Bearer's idea, because it's the the fire, another intended parallel to the curse. Wait, no, but that like that doesn't even explain powers at all because I think what they're referring to is that when Undertaker and Foley were feuding, early on in their feud, they did the thing where Mankind was meant to throw f- the fireball at the Undertaker yes. using flash paper. Oh, so it was Mankind that threw a fireball. He, he was meant to, but he couldn't do it. Remember when they kept doing the thing where like Undertaker kept rocking into it, and he'd go, hey, de- and oh, he'd yeah. like, try and light it, and no one could see it. And then the Undertaker, in the end of the match, 
like literally takes out the flash paper and you can see it oh, takes out the lighter, lighter yeah. and he fucks it in Paul Bear's face and he singed all of his moustache yeah. and eyebrow hair off I remember that botch now yeah that's just a botch that's not spiritual at all well that's what you get that is literally it so there is no like Kane can't actually oh no yeah Kane does his taunt and the four ring posts explode and that's like Paul Bearer's idea was to put the pyrotechnics there oh so it's just pyro pyro and I, I, I thought that was meant to be a legit fireball and that would be the only explanation we got. Obviously, that was actually not, a, a no. blown spot. Yeah. The one bit that he references Why would was you a bring blown spot. To it? Yeah. yeah. And that's that's all you're going to get about these guys being even slightly supernatural. Seriously, you might as well have a line there going, the boys all have a good laugh about it when they watch Botchamania that night. Like, <laughs> I mean, again, to the point now where you're just making it like, seem shitty and lame. Like, like that's... Yeah, so... It's really clear now. They've said Paul Bearer invented the Undertaker gimmick. They use pyrotechnics. They do things because it's on brand. Like, there is not an inkling. The only supernatural thing we have, really, is the fact that Kane supposedly can't feel any pain whatsoever. And even that, they try to science it up a little bit, so it's not really supernatural. But it's so funny, because out of the two of them, the Undertaker's meant to be the more, like... Mythological, I guess, mm-hmm. of the two of them. He's the one who has more actual powers. Actual powers. Yeah. But that's just like, feels like they've completely. It's gone. And that came out, and well, that came out post American Badass Taker. That, that would have came out when he was in the midst of his return let's, as the Phenom, 2004, I think. Let's double check that, actually. 2005. That's where. Yeah, so he's that was back over a year. year after he's come back as the Phenom. Absolutely. Like, I mean, this is like. Booker T to defeat The Undertaker has to go and visit a witch doctor. Because honestly, the way they talk about this, you do think it would be done uh, done during like Big Evil. Yeah. They, they, they make him to... out to be a man yeah. in this book. Which is really disappointing. Like, so God, fucking so... boring. It's like they've taken the exciting, nonsensical backstory that they've kind of told us before. Like, no, no, no. Here it is. It's just as nonsensical and contradictory. But, but it's not got it, any fantastic. Yeah, it's less it. exciting. It's yeah. less exciting, but equally as confusing and infuriating. So, because of the blind spot, Bearer has burns all over his face, which he is healing with chemicals. So, he's... Uh, Precious apparent, chemicals. Apparently got some sort of chemicals that can heal facial burns. Bear that in mind, because it won't come up again. Okay. Legit. What? Legit. As the author own. tells us. Bear in mind, earlier on they mentioned Kane being disfigured. Yeah. Now, now they're mentioning Bearer can heal facial burns with chemicals, but not his. Never comes back up. So are you just meant to kind of take that like on board and be like, oh, okay, well that's obviously why he did that. It's 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 just that the wheels are falling off the cart at this point. We get. I swear to God, there's a scene here because Kane's back in the US now. He's hanging out with Paul Bearer. Twice on one page, the author calls Kane Mark without realising it. What? In a scene between Paul Bearer and Kane, he says Mark said twice. Oh my fucking god. Piss poor. <laughs> fucking piss poor. <laughs> Spelling mistakes. <laughs> like anytime it says Glenn Calloway, the one says Glenn Crane because they did a seek and replace for Calloway with Kane, but he forgot to do it for the misspelling. There's like, like a chapter, and at the end of it, in bold, it says "finish this bit off." Like, <laughs> the last ten pages is the word "screw Flanders." Over <laughs> over again. So, even though he's just had the quickest training ever, and he is meant to be the greatest fighter of all time, 
Bearer thinks that Kane needs to be tested, so he locks him in his basement for three days and sends fighter after fighter down there to fight him in the darkness. Where does one get fighters? Don't know. Craigslist. They yeah. don't. They don't tell you. Beat hard rides again. <laughs> so that's it for a few days. Kane is just in the basement. You get some really graphic descriptions of him beating people up and breaking bones in the darkness. Paul Bear eating ice cream the whole time. I'm assuming. Deciding that Kane is finally ready, Paul arranges a meeting with the Undertaker in a graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> but like, this is silly now because it's like. I thought it's all just a character and a gimmick, but they're still doing shit like that. You want to talk about demystifying The Undertaker. Paul Bearer meets up with The Undertaker in the graveyard, and they make a mention of how strange it is that The Undertaker turns up dressed in full Undertaker attire, wearing his championship belt around his waist. Oh my fucking god. So, A, he is just a man. B, there is nothing supernatural or evil about him whatsoever. C, he's really into his character and you can't quite take him out of it. D, he's such a big fucking Mark that he walks around in his Undertaker clothes Mark all the time. Mark Calloway, like, yeah. seriously. They big have fucking Mark Calloway. Buried the fuck out of the Undertaker. This is the Attitude Era podcast job, mate. Seriously? We bury the Undertaker. That's like. not your job, Michael Chiapetta. So this is funny, because the way the Undertaker's carrying on this book, I kind of feel like Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are going to have a pop at him on a shoot interview. It's a fucking work, Mark. <laughs> Don't wear your fucking championship belt, Mark. So... Obviously, Bearer has trained up Kane, and he's going to go and meet with The Undertaker. Clearly, he's formulating a plan here. He wants to turn Kane on The Undertaker now. Do you have any idea why Bearer might be pitting these two against each other? Why he wants to get back at The Undertaker? What his motivation might be? Now, if I'm trying to remember from storyline-wise... I do believe Bear said something on the line the lines of that Undertaker was paying too much attention to his creatures of the night and wasn't focused on uh, he lost his edge essentially mm-hmm. he'd gone soft yes I think I, no, I could be honest and watched a lot of 96 stuff but as far as I recall that was Bear's reasoning for, for betraying him yeah well you're not far off because his motivation is because he wants royalties from the Undertaker gimmick what? Paul Bearer um, he wants to get back at the Undertaker because he wants royalties from the Undertaker gimmick all the sales of Ben and Jerry's Undertaker ice cream <laughs> It's obviously like... And so he says... He's on the run for fucking all sorts of crimes. you got bigger worries. <laughs> no, he just wants royalties, mate. He's just greedy. That's, That's This is so Colbert's character. He's, he's greedy. Shit. So he says that if Mark doesn't agree to cut him in on the royalties, then he's going to tell Kane the truth about everything. So Mark agrees... And then now that Kane is ready and he's all trained up, Bearer starts drugging him to keep him sick and not fit to leave the house. He does this with his chemicals, of course. Wait, he does this to Kane? He does this to Kane. So Why does he do this to Kane? He trained up Kane, got him all ready to fight, so he can be like, yeah, I'm going to get back at Mark. And then he went to Mark and he's like, if you don't give me all the royalties, I'm going to tell Kane the truth. And Mark was like, okay, I'll cut you in on the royalties. And so Bearer's like, okay, I'll keep Kane sick so he can't leave his bed. So why did you pay for him to go to Madrid and train? That's a waste. If you're just going to blackmail the Undertaker anyway. You're going to have to fucking get a visa for that, like, it's, you know. And this has just passport. been like, I will say, with this book, it feels like I read half a page and then I have to stop reading to make notes. This, I feel like the past five or six things I've been telling you about has happened in about two pages. Oh my like, God. This is fucking breakneck speed now, this book. They are on double time trying to get through this narrative. So... 
Kane is now in Paul Bearer's basement. He's sick and he's been drugged and he's been kept there. And then less than a month and Undertaker and Bear have broken up again and they're back on the outs and we don't get any explanation as to sort of like why or the, the really... It's just like in a month's time Undertaker and Paul Bear broke up again. So, and then forgetting the whole blackmail thing. Again, they don't mention royalties again now. They completely drop the royalties gimmick. Barra doesn't care about that now. Imagine if Barra, when he cut all those awesome promos for Kane, it's like, your brother is alive! I want my royalties! You owe me at least 12% Undertaker! You lie there with your dead mama! Also, you owe me (laughs) $25.99 for the t-shirts that we sold in Albuquerque. So, forgetting all the blackmail stuff now, Bearer publicly announces Kane's existence, and he tells everyone that Undertaker was the one that started the fire all those years ago. So then we're basically on the WWF timeline now. We get to Bad Blood 97. That's got to be Kane. Still no mention whatsoever of Kane officially signing with WWF or anything, by the way. He's not met with Vince. We still don't know, like, him doing things like... What, if his face has been healed properly or... No, they're not going to bring that up again. Okay. Yeah. That's just kind of... We'll talk about his face later, but... Kane officially is here, but even though Undertaker is all above board and we heard about him negotiating with McMahon, apparently Kane could just show up at Bad Blood, which he does, and still has the red lights and the music. I don't... It's, it's like when DDP shows up in King of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. He's got all the pyro and the lights and the Titantron. Like. So he rips off the cell door, and as he does that, we get a flashback to the Night of the Fire. It turns out Undertaker is the one that started the fire. We get a definite concrete answer on that now. Undertaker did burn down the funeral home. Yeah, because he did that in 19... That was one of his things he did before he turned, like, full, proper... It was, like, remember after SummerSlam 98 with Austin when he mm. went full, pure evil and broke off... When Kane became the face and he was like, and I'm the one who started the fire, by the way. And yeah. I was like, oh, so... Yeah, that's, that is definitely true then. So yes. that's okay. We've, we've kept that much at least. Why do you think he did it? I never actually understood that. I mean, I always assumed, and keep in mind now, this doesn't work with what they've told us here. Mm. But how I've always viewed it was that The Undertaker was a vessel for, like, some sort of darkness or... Oh, yeah, the the Bob theory. Yeah, he's he's got a Bob in him. And the Bob may do all these evil things. Yeah. And sometimes he's come... Like, when he gets... He's been buried alive, that's brought him closer to the darkness. That's why he became, like, evil phenom Undertaker in late 99. Other times, however, when he's went away, he's drifted away from it. Like, when he became American Badass Undertaker. So, I always assumed him saying that fire was, like, you know, Bob first coming into it. Yeah. And him doing his, his dark deeds. Yeah, well, you're not far off, actually, because he was playing with matches and uh, accidentally the kitchen caught fire. So he was a little boy and he was, um, he was playing with matches. It was an accident. And uh, there was an accident and caught fire and he ran away. It's not even his gimmick, is it? That's Kane's gimmick. It's Kane's gimmick. Fire. So, yeah, that's... That's that mystery solved. Oh, okay. There's a little boy playing with matches. Don't play with matches, folks. Fire's nothing to be joked around with. Seriously, serious business. Immediately after the match, we had the bad blood, the debut of Kane. He does the T-Star. I I assumed it would end at like, and then Kane debuted. And I think we all know what happened from there. You'd think. Yeah, it would have been a much better idea because then we wouldn't have this next scene. 
where Undertaker confronts Kane backstage after the show. He doesn't want to fight. He's just confused. Yeah, yeah. Like, he just wants to know the truth. Taker refused to fight Kane for all the up until WrestleMania 14. So that's in line with the story. I'm going to kill you, Kane said again, staring straight at Mark. So he can talk. Unfettered without a voice box. Yep. There's so many times in this book where it's like, ah, I bet you're <laughs> now wondering... he's lost his voice. Yeah. Or... I was like, oh, I bet you're wondering about how we'll handle this. Well, here it is. And then later on, it's like, huh? Uh, no, no, it never happened. It's like two different people wrote this fucking book. Yeah. And they didn't talk with each other once. <laughs> they read each other's half. I'm going to kill you, Kane said again, staring straight at Mark. I'm going to crush your bones and make them into soup. Bearer ignored him and turned to Glenn. Drink your Gatorade, please. <laughs> And meanwhile, a young Taz was like, huh, bones? <laughs> soup? The Undertaker? Yeah, throwing soup bones over to you. <laughs> Fast forward a little bit through this chapter and they carry on talking. Kane wants to fight. Undertaker doesn't want to fight. Bearer Paul says... Paul just wants him to drink his Gatorade. Bearer says, you're going to have a fight. Security take Undertaker away. This isn't over yet, Undertaker said. Soup, Kane said. With a last angry glance at Bearer, Undertaker spun on his heel and left the room so quickly that the security guards all jumped. <laughs> the other thing is spinning on his heel like Michael Jackson or something. Like Gonna kill him, Kane said again, watching his brother go. Soup. He said soup three fucking times. Yeah, like it's meant to be this cool, like, don't you forget, Undertaker. Soup. Sleep with one eye open. Soup. <laughs> you think this is about... Soup. Wait a minute, the lights are going off in the arena. What the? Oh my god, the Undertaker, he's covered in soup! Where did it come from? <laughs> the soup bath. Undertaker, this Sunday, the soup will be real. <laughs> if I do not win the championship, I will set my soup on fire. <laughs> Kane dreams that night of being in Paul Bearer's basement and then The Undertaker burning that down as well. Did they ever explain how he stopped being sick? Oh, Bearer just stopped drugging him. And he was cool with that? Yeah. The whole time... All the way through Kane's first couple of years in the Fed, they're making out that when he's with Bearer, Bearer is drugging him heavily with chemicals. Okay. And Kane is just utterly oblivious to that fact. Whenever he gets sick, he's like, oh, I, I need Paul to whip up some more chemicals for me because I'm feeling quite sick today. Like He knows he's being drugged, <laughs> but he doesn't fucking realise that the chemicals are bad for him. Like, For fuck's sake, you think someone who's managed to survive four years living in a fucking cave with their shit together survival? <laughs> How can you eat all them fucking animals and not know and something bad's going into you? Like, <laughs> Jesus. So we're having yet another nightmare in this book, and this one's about Undertaker burning down Paul Bearer's home. And Kane basically chases Undertaker outside. I've got to read you this extract because... This, this is in a dream now. We're this is in, in a dream. In a dream, okay. But not only is this a, a really bad, another really long, terrible sentence, I just think it's quite funny what happens in it anyway. <laughs> what was the other one? Dead. Dead, dead, dead. All dead. All dead. Someone had died last week. They had died dead. <laughs> dead. <laughs> dead. So Kane's chasing Undertaker in this dream. Okay. He raced down the road then and caught up to his brother and lifted him like he was a child and carried him to the graveyard where their parents were buried and gave him a tombstone pile driver, planting him headfirst into the ground next to Randall and Susanna Carloway. There's a sentence for you. There's a good sentence about 
tombstoning your brother into your parents' grave. Nice liberal use of the word and. <laughs> That's my favourite word. That's a sign of a quality author. Right awesome. There. He's not afraid to break out the ands now and then. Yeah, commas are for pussies. Oh, this is really... It's getting heavy now. Okay, so Bearer and Kane are spending weeks trying to goad The Undertaker into fighting Kane. This is, again, we're following the same path as the actual storyline now, which is good, at least. At I'm least starting to feel, though, that we're never going to get Gene Snitsky appearing in this. Apparently, Paul Bearer is struggling to find the right balance of chemicals that will keep Kane under control. You know what I mean? And he's funny. always like, I've got to tweak my chemicals and fine-tune the chemicals. Do you think he keeps saying it's chemicals, but it's just more ice cream? Is there like, sugar. No, I need more Rocky Road mixed in with the fish food, otherwise it won't be the proper That's chemicals. why Kane gets gassed so easily in every it's month. full of ice cream, like. So, I think this is officially the last we'll get mention of this now. And this is the last night we'll talk about it. And I think this is going to put to rest whatever fucking mess the book was trying to explain. Or any credibility of the backstory. Paul Bearer wants Kane to wear his mask all the time, in and out of the ring, because he doesn't want people to see that his scars are really no worse than bad sunburn. So he has got scars. They look like really bad sunburn, but not much more. Mate, right. Speaking as a as a scar holder, all right. Yeah. I've got like two visible when you look at yeah, me. Yeah, I've holder. got a fucking whole roadmap on the back of my head. Thanks, bigger brother. But uh, that's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Sunburn and scars are not the same fucking thing. And either he has one or he hasn't. He's not just going to go away. Again, you'd think, ah, oh, yes, but of course, Paul Bearer's healing chemicals will cut. Nope. Nothing. <laughs> That's it. And that's that's the last we'll get about Kane's face. Three fucking people wrote this book now. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. The voice box also is a sham. A um, sham? Oh boy. The idea came to Paul Bearer after when he was locking Kane in the basement and sending fighters in. One of the fighters was an unfortunate soul named Gene Snitsky who went in the basement to fight Kane and he hit Kane in the throat and Kane struggled to talk for a few days, so they got a voice box from the doctor, and they decided to keep that gimmick. But he already lost his voice earlier because of the smoke from the fire! So, if you're wondering out there, you've heard in the past the mention that Gene Snitsky does factor into Kane's backstory somehow. Yes, he does. Gene Snitsky is the reason that Paul Bearer came up with the fake voice box gimmick. It wasn't even like Snitsky crushed Kane's throat and then he needed a voice box. <laughs> I thought it you were going to go, it wasn't his fault. Like, <laughs> no, Snitsky hurt Kane's throat temporarily. Okay. And from that, Bearer was like, hey, this is a great idea. We should continue to kayfabe the audience by faking this voice box. I still don't understand how it is, though, that... Like, all that stuff in chapter one about, like, oh, the smoke inhalation meant that he lost his voice and he couldn't. Like, that's, a per- that's literally a perfect, oh, and then he learned how to talk later. Well, you get, first of all, the smoke ruins his vocal cords, yeah, yeah. so he can't talk. Then when Margaret Barrow tries to strangle him, him yeah. that damages his vocal cords. Then later on, when he's not talking to anyone because he's been living in that abandoned lot for a year. Just disuse. Yeah, and then again later on when he's a hermit and he's not been speaking to anyone, he loses the voice again. And then again, Gene Snitsky crushes his throat and then he loses his voice. But he gets his voice back every single time. Like, what is the point in all of these incidents? Like, it doesn't make 
any sense. Nothing is quite as enduring as the human spirit, except for Kane's vocal cords. <laughs> I gotta say, by this point in the book, I was really fucking struggling, like, to hang on. Like, it had gone from being like, oh, this is so silly, to like, I am sick of making notes. It's funny, I can this. just imagine you reading this book, like, all like, slouched over, like, Ugh. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Oh boy, this is a big scene for me. Kane and Bearer interfere in one of the Undertaker's matches because they're still trying to psych him out. They're still yeah. trying to get to him. It's, Even though it's fake. It's HBK versus the Undertaker in a casket match at the Royal Rumble. Oh, I know that one. Yeah, so they interfere and they stuff Undertaker in the casket. And as they're wheeling him away, Kane, Kane starts daydreaming about the soup that he's going to make out of the Undertaker's body. Are you shitting me? And he's genuinely contemplating and fantasizing about what the soup will taste like. What? Is he a cannibal? What is this? I fucking love soup. I make it at least once a week, but this is fucking madness. Maybe it's the chemicals, maybe? I He is just daydreaming. He's wheeling the coffin up the ramp in front of hundreds of people and he's daydreaming about what the soup, soup. will taste like. Soup. So You hurt me. You hurt soup. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I say I think it's the chemicals is because at the same time as this, he starts thinking about soup, but then he hallucinates and he sees his mother in front of him and she's sitting on the coffin while he's wheeling it up the ramp. This is only, of course, in the uh, special edition of the Royal Rumble 1998 <laughs> with the extra CGI. The augmented reality. Like. Yeah, you've got the, the CGI Mrs. Calloway appearing in the final well, scene. He hallucinates that his mother sat on the coffin and she says something about the family curse and then her head bursts into flames. From behind her, Margaret Barrow rides in on a horse and she's basically threatening to beat Kane up again and to strangle and him. And this is all... In, uh, up in know. Kane's head, yeah. Okay. He turns around and Katie Vick is there, dressed as a cheerleader, going, Glenn, Glenn, he's our man. If he can't do it... And then he sees coming up the ramp, he sees a sports car speeding towards him with a familiar face behind the wheel. As it drives past, the driver does a big thumbs up and a grin and goes, curse, what curse? And then the car flips and explodes. What the fuck? Is that meant to be Kane from the future? That was meant to be... Like, previous Glenn, I think. That was him seeing himself on the night of the accident. You remember that chapter earlier in the book where Kane goes, Curse? What curse? Hey, Katie, hang on to your seatbelt. Try one of these. Oh, I can't drive! (laughs) Fucking hell. So, go back. Rewatch Royal Rumble 1998 and look at Kane on the ramp. And just think about what's going through his head when he sees all this stuff. I want to, like, somehow, if it's possible, to, like, have that that shot and, like, add in all these other shit, like, fucking cars and cheerleaders, horses, <laughs> women with their head on fire. Mate, all right, we're, we're have to restrain ourselves with the David Lynch and Twin Peaks jokes at the moment. <laughs> Stop fucking playing into our hands with this. This is ridiculous. But I knew what happened after the match at Royal Rumble, and I was thinking, are they really going to go... Because this book has been pretty straight-laced with its whole fantasy or reality. Like, they- Oh, it's not really fire, it's ice cream or some shit. Like. Well, they do axe the casket. And they do cover it in gasoline and set it on fire. And they can smell burning flesh. And Kane and Paul Bearer both believe that they have killed Mark Calloway. They on actually, TV. They believe they've murdered him on TV. And no, they... no mention of them being like, we should be on the run. Like, there's literally... I swear to God, this is all within the space of three sentences. 
They think that they've killed him. They leave. They find out. Somehow, Mark must have escaped the casket. Then he accepts the fight and they book the match for Mania. That's it. Wait, that's the end of the book? That's not the end of the book. No, okay. that's just... That's that's the explanation for that. They they do all that thinking that... I, my mouth, Sorry, I'm just going to myself. My mouth farted when I said that. What? <laughs> my mouth literally went... <laughs> when I was talking. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> I can't wait to listen back to yeah. that. <laughs> they literally believe they have killed Mark. And then within two sentences we find out... Oh yeah, somehow Mark escaped the casket without anyone noticing. Curiouser and curiouser. Because obviously there must have been a trap door. You're a fool if you do. But they don't actually explain. So they book the fight for Mania 14. And this has been going on for a little while now. Clearly this is what we're building towards, right? The match at WrestleMania. The, the, The collision. Nope. Because honestly... Do you want to know what they say about the match at WrestleMania? <laughs> it wasn't that good. People were a bit nostalgic for it, you know. Verbatim. Unfortunately, the bout itself was entirely anticlimactic. That's all they say. Are you shitting me? Unfortunately, the bout itself was entirely anticlimactic. And he says that Undertaker handily beat Kane. He doesn't even mention how it took four tombstones. He just says... Undertaker handily beat Kane. But that's like meant to be... Like in WWE canon... Mm-hmm. Like you know, the, the kind of the, the corporate line, even in the one WWE, of the greatest matches yeah. in WrestleMania history, yeah. Even yeah, even in the the non kayfabe, like we're just talking, that's mm-hmm. regarded as being a great match. And I remember like quite early on the, the podcast, that was a match which we were like, I don't think we enjoyed it as much. Like their matches were a bit plodding. And well, I remember, was... I remember saying in that first episode, unfortunately, the bout itself was entirely anticlimactic. <laughs> but I mean. That's such a strange way They bury to the match. Sp- yeah. They don't even describe the match. It's literally just... And then the, the match came, and unfortunately it was anticlimactic. And then Paul and Mark... Like, you know, Paul and Kane go and lick their wounds. Because people, like, still... I remember people are, were so defensive of that yeah, match. Yeah, because they're convinced it. it's a good match. Yeah, like, yeah. Might not remember it well. Or if, if you do like it, fair enough. But they shouldn't be burying it in the book, no. is what we're saying. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh! Do you want to know why Paul Bearer thinks that Kane lost... Because he hasn't found the right combination of chemicals, chemicals yet. Of so we've got to tinker around with the chemicals. Making one of them slow chemicals, yeah. We get absolutely no mention, no mention of how Kane feels about losing to The Undertaker. No mention about, like, what he actually, you know, the, the consequences of that, the blow-off, if they interact after that. You know the whole stuff about him hallucinating and seeing all this shit? Is that because of the chemicals or because of the madness from all of his crazy shit happening to him? Neither is outright stated. I think it's implied that it's the chemicals cause but they genuinely say neither okay um they do the stunt where they desecrate the parents coffins again not a mention of if this is okay with kane is it do like, they say if it's real or fake like are they all just oh, dummy? They, they were dummies they were fake coffins but it was all a stunt and you'd think it would be like kane couldn't help but feel a sick feeling in his stomach because he watched his parents effigies but nothing literally nothing it's is, just and then they did this and then they did this is and vince then, mentioned at any point uh, here and there very sparingly but it's not like kind of whose idea is this meant to be i guess bearer well. okay it's so he's the all, all bearer yeah he's all all the decisions about what they're doing is coming from bearer so again Kane loses the Inferno match we're fucking breezing through this no explanation that the Inferno match is a match surrounded by fire it's like and then they have an Inferno match that Kane lost now I kind of would feel that this is in the second half of the second book I mean the WWE section how much like are we talking oh okay so we're talking about he's just lost 
at Unforgiven, this is how much of the book we've got left. Oh We're, my god! We are like there's like a, a pamphlet left of the book. That's an NHS choices pamphlet. It was genuinely text. like they said, okay, you got to write this book, but don't let it be any longer than three hundred and twelve pages. So now he's cramming <laughs> like. Like I say, you'd think that he'd at least say an inferno match is when the ring is on fire or kind something. Kind of a big like, deal given all the fire imagery in the, the Kane, book Kane so lost far. the inferno match. No big deal. No big deal. What curse? Bearer tells Kane that he is his father. He realizes now that the chemicals are sending Kane a bit daffy and he can't figure out the right combination. So he's thinking, I want to cut Kane off the chemicals altogether, but how am I going to keep him loyal without the aid of chemicals? I'll tell him that I'm his dad. That'll keep his loyalty. And it is true as well, obviously. It, it all makes sense. But Bearer tells Kane that he's his father. Um, and then within a paragraph, Kane goes from being like, What? to, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> and immediately goes back to like, So when are we going to try and fight Undertaker again? Like, that's it. That's again. He tells him, Kane goes, what? Okay, I get it. And One then, track mind, like. That's it. Never mention it again. Paul Bearer is Kane's father. Get used to it. Don't need to talk about it anymore. So leave it. That's funny because, like, where they've mentioned this in the timeline, that's when Paul accidentally reveals it. Because you know the whole thing where... It was GTV, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was like yeah. the, the camera was left on Lawler and Bearer and he reveals it. But you were under the impression that... That Kane already knew, I thought, but nope, obviously not. No, this is all just coming out, and Kane's totally fine with it. No questions asked. Say no more, pal. You're my dad now. That's fine. So, come the summer, for no reason whatsoever, Kane's motivation moves from "I will kill my brother" to "I will beat Steve Austin for the championship." Absolutely. So we go, and again, we fucking storm through it. We go through the, the first blood match. What is a first blood match? Doesn't matter. Kane wins. Okay, Kane is champion now. Another verbatim quote for you. The next night, in a match hardly worth the name, Kane lost the belt back to Steve Austin. You will see that sentence is by itself because that actually signals the end of that storyline. So, Wait, In a match hardly worth the name. As in, I think it's hardly worth calling it a match. It's an awesome match, though. That's like one of my... Nah, mate. Michael Chiapetta says it's not. One of Kane's best. Nope. Which is one of Austin's best, I would say. Uh-uh. Fuck. So, Kane loses the belt. He's a bit upset about it. He wants to win it back, but it's... They don't really kind of make out, like, if Kane is, like, very good or very bad, or it's just like he... Cause he's, he's been losing he's, loads. He keeps losing like, loads. There's yeah. no, like, kind of... Ah, uh, but the only reason he lost was because... The chemicals. Yeah. yeah. No, it's... Oh, he lost. What a jabroni. So, Even again... another year in the cave, I guess. No mention of, like, well, why has he forgotten about Undertaker? Don't forget, he literally thought he murdered him with fire. Like, he still wants him dead. Why is he not... What's... Uh... Taker was back by that WrestleMania. <laughs> One night, one night, Kane gets sick. He's not on the chemicals anymore. Don't worry, this is okay. real sickness now. Shoot sick. He gets sick and he's been thrown up for hours. And on his way back from the bathroom, he sees that Paul accidentally left the light on in his office. Now, Kane's never been allowed in Paul's office before now. That's where his secret ice cream stash is. In the dead of night, well, actually, there is ice cream in there. But in the dead of night, <laughs> Kane goes in there and he, uh, he finds... There are dozens of books and newspapers and magazines and they've all got like bookmarks <gasps> and dog-eared pages in it and Kane starts looking through it and he sees like, I recognise this story. It's the same story as the one of my great-great-great-grandmother that was a witch that started the curse, except her name was Rebecca Kane and this one's like Rebecca Graham. It's got a different name. I don't understand. And he looks through all the stories and they're all stories that he recognises from the Kane family scrapbook, but they've all got different names and they're all from different sources. And it all comes together and all the pieces put in place 
Paul Bearer manufactured the Kane family curse and made up the whole thing. Why? You want to know? Yeah. It's what your mother wanted to hear. What? Kane finds all the evidence and he says, like, the curse. You made up the whole Kane family curse. You lied to my mother. You sent her crazy. You what drove her over the edge. Why'd you do it? It was what your mother wanted to hear. I'm really trying to figure out what the fuck... Paul Bearer is a character... We don't get any more explanation from that. What's his motivation? Why is he doing this? Kane, in response, smiles and says, It's all water under the bridge now. The wonder of the world is gone. (laughs) Fucking hell! (laughs) We are just falling apart at the scene. It's not even Paul Bearer. It's like ten tubs of ice cream stood up with a suit jacket put on it. Turns out, Kane was just playing civil in front of Paul. He actually wants revenge. Of course, I mean, he'd want to, right? Kane meets up with The Undertaker in secret and tells him everything he knows. Ah. Paul was the one that made up our family curse. Me and you were never cursed anyway. Well, well why, no, hang on, Undertaker... Why, why did he do it? Well, it's what Mum wanted to hear, wasn't it? So, but like Undertaker, he's not part of the Kane family. I know, so stupid. Curse. Well, the, the thing is, Kane sort of imagines like that The Undertaker was a troubled kid. Because he was meant to be like, he got into trouble at school. Yeah, yeah. And he was meant to be the sort of the shittier of the two brothers. And it was all because he was raised being told, you're a cursed child, you're a cursed little boy. And that's what made him so evil. And so that's why Cain is like, Paul Bear is the reason our lives have been so fucked up and everything. And it's why Paul Bear is the reason you were playing with matches one night and you accidentally killed our parents. (laughs) So they're officially in cahoots. Paul Bear suspects that they're in cahoots. And then eventually... One night in August, they come out and they're in cahoots. I'll just read you this little extract here, just so you're aware. Kane and The Undertaker are officially on the same page yeah. now. The same diabolical page. The same dirty, nasty, ugly, smelly page, as JR would say. <laughs> a month and a half later, Paul Bearer invited Mark Calloway to his house. I mean, oh, come on, even that sentence. Paul Bearer invited Mark Calloway to his... The, I think the I famous wrote... man looked at the red book. Like, <laughs> Sounds like an essay I would have written when I was in primary school. Like, Paul Bearer invited Mark Calloway. <laughs> An attempt to reconcile Mark reluctantly agreed. They toasted the future. A special wine, a bottle that Bearer had been saving for a very special occasion. It was ice cream in a bottle. It had a nasty aftertaste, Mark Calloway thought. Gave him a bit of a headache. <gasps> He ended up spending the night at Bearer's house, too sick to drive home. A few weeks later, Undertaker turned on his brother once more. That is the end of the book. That is where the story of Journey into Darkness ends. So I will mention on the page before that, Kane and Undertaker officially announced that they are on the same page. And then a page later, Undertaker turned on his brother once more. The end. Whose side is he on, Adam? There is an epilogue. The reason I say that's the end of the book is because that's where the story ends. The epilogue is written like it's the end of a fictional book, and it's like, in 1998, Paul Bearer developed health problems and necessitated a long departure from the ring. Like, what? They talk about it like they're talking about real people. Oh, as, of, I mean, as of this writing, his relationship with both Kane and The Undertaker remains strained. Okay. So here's the highlights from the epilogue. This is just trying to tie up the little shitty bits and pieces. There are a lot of loose threads. I mean, there's so many loose threads in this book. It's like Tanglia from Pokemon. There's a a lot of loose threads we're dealing with here. So Undertaker gets married and has kids. 
ends up with a strained relationship with Kane. Paul Bearer also has a strained relationship with both of the boys. Melissa Vick recognises the Kane mask on TV one day. She recognises it as the mask of the Black Death from that little boy Glenn Jacobs. Of course. And more so, she recognises somehow under that mask, she can just tell that's still Kane. He's still alive. Gotta be Kane. So she gets in touch and he tells her the truth of everything that happened with Katie. She dies of ALS and Kane pays for her funeral. Oh, okay. That's nice. And then... I'm going to read out this entire closing bit for you here because this is just how they cap off the entirety of everything we've been through with Kane on this magical story. We're going to put a little bow on this package right there. Tie it all up nicely. Yeah. So, Kane has continued his career as one of the most physically dominant wrestlers in history. In June 1998, he won the WWE Championship and has also won several tag team titles. In early 2004, he was selected as one of the 50 greatest WWE superstars of all time. And in October of 2004, SmackDown Magazine readers voted him as the greatest wrestling villain of all time. He has no known address, living life wherever the day takes him. In 2003, Kane seemed to be opening himself up to the world. The injury in his throat had at long last been proper diagnosed and corrected by surgery and the fans seemed to be warming up to him later that same year Kane was forced to remove the mask that had protected him from the world for so long it opened up a new chapter of violence and brought back a flood of memories about his tragic past no longer a believer in the curse Kane is a man who survived a deadly fire overcame a life-threatening condition lived through physical and mental abuse and survived unspeakable tragedies to become one of the sport's most enduring figures he has captured all of the major titles in the sport and has spawned a legion of loyal fans deep down they hope their cheers will heal him Kane lives in his own private hell and the reason fan loves him is simple continually every day of his life he fights to escape it. The readers of Smackdown magazine I've got a real bone of contention with. What the fuck? He's not like? the greatest villain of all time. I don't know you read that there. That's pretty much like, that's a like Great American Bash 2006, what they were doing to like flesh out time. And he was voted the great villain from the readers of Smackdown magazine. What Just a fucking mess! To recap what we learned at the end there. So... The whole reason Kane and Undertaker are fucked up is because Paul Bearer manufactured the Kane family curse, drove Kane's mother crazy. Kane family chemicals. Undertaker accidentally burnt down the home as a kid. When they grew up, Undertaker became a wrestler that Paul Bearer would control with chemicals. Later he did the same thing with Kane. They eventually decide to join together when they learn the truth about Paul Bearer. And then immediately he starts drugging Undertaker and then he betrays Kane again. Do you think that... When Chiapetta was penning this thing together and he had like a wall covered in all the different plot points and loads of question marks and loose threads and red tape and he's like, the fuck am I going to do to expect... I know. Chemicals! <laughs> I bet he bought himself a beer that night. Good job, Michael. Chemicals explain fucking everything in this book, apparently. That was so dreadful. I was really hoping for a so bad it's good read. But that was so bad it was fucking frustrating. That's the thing with bad books, right? Because bad movies... Oh, yeah. We're doing a big old declutter here at the moment in, uh, in, in the HQ. So we're watching a lot of old movies and then selling them on. Watching stuff like, you know, Street Fighter, Super Mario Brothers movie, yeah. Cobra. So bad, it's good. Because you can sit down and watch and laugh. But even hearing the description of that was so frustrating. Mm -hmm. 
and that's an actual book. Like, it's not a pamphlet. That's a full book. Like, you yeah. know, as big as the font may be, their margins are small, folks. I don't know this for a fact, but I can guarantee there are probably better Kane fan fictions out there. Oh, absolutely. Like, absolutely. This was dreadful. That's absolutely. so fucking bad. Really, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> fucking right. awful. I mean, what I think is funny is because, like, Big Apple Takedown, it was obvious that the person had a vague idea maybe of Stone Cold Steve Austin was mm. and no one else because no one else does anything remotely close to their character other than like Steve Austin drives a pickup truck at one point yeah. and says oh hell yeah this though it happens when you have similarly non-inclined wrestling non-wrestling fans putting together a book and he clearly didn't know anything no and he didn't care to either like, like I say he spent the majority of the book doing what he can, like, where he's got the freedom to make up things about Kane's past. Like, he was probably given the bullet points of, like, you've got to include Katie Vick. Vick, Gene Snitsky. But then he had, he had the chance to put in all of his own boring bullshit, like Kane going out for football and trying out for basketball. That's like. the funny thing, is the fact that there are so many parts of the book where it's, like, it's fucking reams of text about this inconsequential total bullshit and then yeah. when it comes to okay now let's get the into the real the important stuff it's like uh, one sentence about the like and then this happened uh, it was pyrotechnics like, the chemicals like if I was sitting down and I had to write a book about Kane and I had to include all these important points and you're telling me that I'm going to actually include a line about Inferno match, a line about his first blood match, a line about WrestleMania. And that you're going to bury all of those matches as well. Mate, but like, if you're going to like struggle to fill your book, here's how you fill the book. You fucking describe the whole match. That's what Mick Foley Write the wrestling. Yeah. Like, make an action chapter where it's like, and then the big match. You haven't even got to imagine it. You can watch the match and then just write what you're seeing. That's like, it. Like, you the work's done for you. And then what would have happened then, Adam, is he would have watched the matches and be like, oh. Now I get this that's Kane over yeah. there yeah I know which one he is now I know more than oh he is fat so ice cream lol yeah I'm, I'm pissed off about this book like he wasn't even willing to put in the most meagre effort to make it actually matter to Kane fans yeah seriously like this, this book is for nobody no one will enjoy this well, I'll tell you what we'll do, because we've had a good response to this. People have enjoyed a lot, it seems, your book report. I think we'll put up a poll mm. on the old Patreon page of what the next book is that we'll do. Mm. No time frame in order, because, you know, depending on the book that we do, it could be something that's turned over very quickly, or it could be something that might take a bit of a while. I've caught a lot of trains lately. That's how I was able to read this <laughs> so quick. I might not always be able to do that. Right? So we'll put up a few options. If there's any suggestions for ones you think should definitely be included, Chuck them in in the comments below. I think there's a bevy of wrestling autobiographies that will be very interesting mm -hmm. to talk about. I'm, of course, quite interested to delve into some of uh, Vince Russo's works. I mean, I've obviously read Vince Russo's Rope Opera, uh, How <laughs> Professional Wrestling Killed Vince Russo. Really, really interested in watching... Melodramatic. I'm really interested in reading Forgiven, which is his book about, oh. uh, about his Christian beliefs. Oh. And uh, better be careful though, Adam, because another groan like that and you'll find a restraining order against you. <laughs> but I hope you've enjoyed the book report. I hope you've enjoyed your Smackdown crawls. There's more coming soon. We had an absolute blast recording Great American Bash and we've already in the can the first episode of our uh, new series, Series 3, which is going to be okay, The Invasion, King of the Ring, is in the can, so we should expect that next month or later this month at some point. 
and we've got a really exciting announcement which is going to be uh, coming out very very shortly um, stay tuned stay tuned it's all I'll say is it's probably the biggest news in terms of a thing happening to our podcast yeah. in a long long time we're taking on a new member <laughs> Poochie is joining the podcast <laughs> Yes, you, random person who said, I want to be on your show. It's finally happening. All of you at the same time. All you guys from Minnesota, (laughs) come on then. I'll talk a little bit of detail about it on the Q&A episode, which will hopefully be out at the start of next week for $10 backers. But for now, it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And me, Adam. Thanks for being a backer. We'll see you next time on another AE Book Report.